radio? Yes, talk radio. So boring, man. Okay. Lord, it don't leave me. Wednesday, April 29th, 2020, uh, this is the Laced Up Hockey Podcast, and I am James Cole. I'm uh, Brutes Bataglia from the north side. I, I haven't written anything in a while. I don't have uh, much to say about the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, because uh, when the if the season does return, I don't have a lot of positive things to say about that team, so I don't really feel like writing anything. Now, now, why is that? Why, why wouldn't you be very positive about the team if they come back? I don't. I don't. Uh, <laughs> I didn't like much of what I saw from Christmas on. Um, the highs were high, but the lows were were not pretty. And um, I, I understand that that's like how a season goes. Like it's not going to just be a fucking constant upswing most of the time, but. I don't know. It just seemed to lack that extra gear to me. In- injuries a factor in that? Do you think? A little, but yeah, I mean, you know me. Like I'm never, I've never really been a big uh, blame it on the injuries guy, unless it's like pretty bad. And I would say that like, the Leafs situation is like bad enough that you could have the conversation. But for me, I don't really buy it as a as a huge issue. Um yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. I mean, like they're they're you know like you, the, their defensive depth got better, so like the injuries. I don't know. I, I just don't really blame uh, don't really blame those issues because their best players have been healthy, most of them. That's fair. Um, I'll say I'm a little optimistic with the uh, the youth factor. I think uh, it'd be a little easier for the young guys to get back in the swing of things than you know your. Your vets that aren't used to this two-month break at you know postseason time. Yeah, but, like uh, that's the interesting yeah. thing is I I'm not saying that like veteran players are not going to be hungry to win the Stanley Cup when the season comes back, but like I think the younger guys are going to be a little bit more motivated at this point because you know this is the first time that they've ever kind of like sat at home and done nothing by themselves. A lot of them, right? And so, like, your 21, mm-hmm. your 23-year-olds are just, like, maybe some of them are back home, like, at their family house, but, like, I don't, I wouldn't do that if I didn't have to, so it's, like, you know, I, I, I feel like a lot of them are just bored, honestly, whereas, like, I don't know, some of the older guys, I just, I, I don't, I, I, like, it goes back to what we talked about last episode, if I'm, if I'm Blake Wheeler, I don't fucking want to go back this year. Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. But that's just me. Yeah. It's a, it's, uh, it's, I mean, like, at the end of the day, it's a wasted year of your cup winning potential, right? Like, that, like, that, it does come down to that. But I don't know if the risk outweighs the reward for a lot of these guys. And for me, I think the younger, maybe more naive guys are going to be the guys that you're going to find 
are going to be hungrier when the season comes back. And you're right, the Leafs are, generally speaking, a, a pretty young roster. So, I mean, there is that. But I, I, it'll, be, it'll be tough. I think that's just like overanalyzing the Leafs at this point to me. Like I just I don't. I I'm obviously going to cheer them on, but I I wouldn't be shocked at another first round exit. I don't. I don't know. It's the least confident I think I've been in a Leafs team uh, in the Austin Matthews era, which is hilarious because if you would have asked me like two and a half months ago, it would have been like the fucking opposite. But. I don't know. They've they've really worried me in the later half. It, it'll be tough for I think all the teams. It, it's I don't think anyone has a distinct advantage. Um, you could you could say that certain teams have disadvantages for certain reasons, but I don't think there's a clear cut team that's going to be like, hey, you know what? This this two months is going to you know this is going to be great for us. Except for maybe your your like Nathan McKinnon type injury scenarios where you get that player back. Um, so yeah, it's, it'll be interesting though. The one thing I just to kind of put a bow on the, the Leafs perspective is, uh, uh, if they have to go up against Tampa in the first round, uh, that that's a team that, uh, this year already came out pretty flat after, uh, a, a break, so to speak. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I definitely don't think that the Leafs are, um, my my pick to win if we if we have a season they're, but, they're not uh, sunk but but i'll just say this like if they came out and got fucking swept in four games by any team it doesn't matter who they're playing literally any team i wouldn't be shocked like any fucking okay. team but the potential's there i like the coach i like the rust i there's not like i'm not complaining about the makeup of the team really i'm just saying like to me the vibe i got from the leafs is they needed they need another year that's kind of the vibe I get. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the people that are going to get all impatient are the people that have been cheering for this team for two fucking years. Like, one more year <laughs> in the grand scheme. Who gives a shit? Ovechkin didn't win a fucking Stanley Cup till he was like 31. You know? Like, they don't need to win this year. But it sure would be nice. <laughs> there, There's certainly an, an aura of, um, um, you know, we're... we're definitely past the uh uh patient waiting uh point for most of the fans at this point yeah and and, um, and I, I get that but i mean like you know the, the the older fans just like to bitch a lot of them because you know they're older and that's what older people do and you know the the younger fans have been watching the fucking team for like five years and they're just like, like how come we're not winning yet and it's like well it's because you know hockey's it's not gonna happen sometimes in the nhl you can be the best team 15 years in a row and still never win the fucking cup as the St. Louis Blues. So, like, it, it happens, you know, you, you can't, you can't, it's the, of the four major sports, it's the most acceptable sport, at least to me, to have a good team just never get over the top. You know what I mean? In basketball, it should fucking happen. Like, you know what I mean? In every sport, the degree of separation from team one to team ten is so much bigger than the NHL. Where in the NHL, it's like, it's like a third-line winger that has 20 goals instead of fucking 10 on the 10th place team, right? Like, that's your difference. It's nothing, basically. You know, I, I, it's funny you say, like, I, I, just dawning on me that the the uh, Leaf fan age group between uh, 50 and 25 has got to be, like, the most depressed generation of, of people uh, on the planet because... 
anybody older, you know, uh, you know, they've seen the cups, you know, it's been a while, but you know, we have some memories and anybody younger is like, yeah, they haven't really been invested long enough to, to be, uh, you know, necessarily, uh, abused and affected by it. So there, I will say as a Leaf fan, there's like a handful of sports fan bases out there where I think like they have a, a case over Leaf fans, but I'm not going to sit here and say that like, we're not in the conversation for sure. Yeah, fucking <laughs> twenty-five to fifty-year-old Leaf fans. Yeah, it fucking sucks big time. All right. Well, uh, thanks. Thanks for coming to our uh, way too aggressive uh, Leafs take off the top of the uh, podcast uh, segment. Uh, yeah. Well, let's not not let, not planned. <laughs> let's talk about whether or not, like you know, the the Leafs are actually going to be playing again this year. Which I'm 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 hearing that that's a possible thing. Um, since we last spoke, there's been rumblings that the NHL is beginning their their plans to get the season going again, and and what that may look like. And um, the 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 rumor going around is that it's it's going to result in teams going back to training camp around May fifteenth, um, beginning the playoffs at the start of July. And basically doing a regular playoff and beginning the next year's season in December. And the issue, uh, the first thing that comes to mind when you hear that, to me, is how would the season begin in December when they remain adamant that there's going to be an 82 game season next year? And it means one of two things. Either they're they're full of shit about the 82-game season, and it's not going to happen. Or every season's just going to start in December from now on. and Or they're going to, you know what I mean, gradually move it back to October, but that's going to take, like, several years to do. You know, to get the NHL back on your October to June sort of calendar. So, you know, I, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, the, what I heard is that the NHL would maybe be considering starting in December from now on. And I don't I don't see that. I just don't understand that to me. But Well, that yeah, that, that's, that's a, I haven't seen that anywhere. I'd, well, the, I'd be curious to see. The, interma- the information should be taken with a grain of salt because I got it through another person who got it through an NHL player. So... You know what I mean? Whether or not this person's fucking twisting my arm, I, I don't know. But it's the most credible information I have to go off of over the last, the last six weeks. So, sure. you know. I've, I've, I've seen the December thing floated around a little bit. Um, um, I, I could see the logic behind it. Because at the end of the day, um, if, if you're going to, you know, make the effort to... If, if you know, if you're going to, say, jeopardize the rest of this year for the sake of coming back in October and you still can't have fans in October, mm-hmm. then really I, I kind of get the argument of, of what really is the point. Like what's the rush. Yeah. So holding it back until December to me, there's some, there's some logic there. I think you can get away by, you know, if you can scrap the, the all-star weekend and, and, and all that stuff and, and try to cut down, you know, trim some of the fat where you can, um, Maybe not 82 games, but um, uh, a shortened season to some extent, and then uh, the playoffs start at, at at the usual time, and then by 2021 we're back on back on track for October hockey. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's a really plausible scenario. I, I I don't see a reason why they couldn't make that work. But uh, but yeah, that's interesting. Uh, May May fifteenth uh, for training camp. So would that then allow enough time between May fifteenth and say well July first yeah. for the conclusion of the season? Yeah, so I wasn't going to go too much into it because, you know, again, I, I'm not saying this is a credible source. But what I have in front of me is that the NHL, uh, I'll read to you almost word for word what I've got, is that May 15th players can start going to their home rinks in small groups subject to local stay-at-home orders. Uh, June 1st would be the three-week official start of training camp in your home city. June 21st, teams go to one of four NHL cities, possible uh, possible exhibition games or inter-squad games. And then July 1st, the regular season would continue with every team playing 76 games. So, um, you know, I, I haven't looked at the numbers, but just for example, some teams might have to play two, some teams might have to play six, uh, and something like that. Um, with the games will be played in empty buildings with no fans. Then July 21st, is a tentative date for the playoffs to commence with no changes. Uh, four rounds, best of seven. Plan is to slowly introduce fans to games by the conference finals with buildings at half capacity. So I think that that's like a, um, you know, that's, what they're, that's what they're planning for, right? But I mean, you got to have that plan in place because if everything sure. goes right in the next few months, you know, it's the stupidest thing ever to sit here and say we're not going to have any fans when every doctor's like, yeah, you, well, you can, if you want. You certainly can. You know, <laughs> right. why turn down hundreds of thousands of dollars? So, you know, th- th- that that is up there. The Stanley Cup Finals would be then completed by the end of September. Uh, your training camp would open mid-November, and the regular season would start uh, December 15th with a, uh, with a note on the bottom that uh, Batman would be looking to make this schedule somewhat permanent going forward with the season starting in December. And the team playing throughout the summer. I mean, my my first kind of thought with the, you know, playing into the summer too is I've always kind of thought that that makes sense. Um, that's it's one little idea that it's never really been worth mentioning. But I I don't really understand why you know other than contingency and how the CBAs are structured. Um, from a practical standpoint, why we insist on ending our season within a week of the NBA and starting it within three weeks of the NBA. When, you know, if hockey were to go into July, uh, you know, the only other sports going on at that time are like fucking, you know, the Rogers Cup and baseball. You know what I mean? It's an absolute dead zone. There's that, there's that three day period between the all-star game and, uh, baseball coming back in the middle of july where there's nothing not a fucking sport like you watch sports center it's like it is right now they're talking about nothing because there's nothing happened yeah the all-star game was this weekend oh what's going on tonight well we're just waiting for you know sports okay it's it's an open opportunity for the nhl to kind of switch so like to me if that if that were true i think it's a great idea interesting um I, I, I don't know. I, I, I find it really difficult to say, you know, hey, uh, hey Dylan Larkin, you got to come back for five games. Like, you got you know what I mean? Like you got to leave 
everything behind and come back, play your season out in a, you know, clearly the Detroit Red Wings have nothing left to play for. Um, they, they can't finish any lower in the, you know, draft lottery. It's, it's, it's clear-cut last place for them. And, and there's a handful of teams in the same kind of situation where aside from um, some, some lottery positioning, you know, like, why why would the San Jose Sharks risk coming back when, you know, their city was, you know, a hot spot at one point for your COVID? You know, why why would why would Buffalo come back when the whole state of New York is just absolutely riddled uh, with uh, with this infection um, for the sake of, you know, five or six games with no fans, with no real profit to be made uh, outside of TV, you know, uh, deals? Mm-hmm. It doesn't really make sense to me to, to see the, the, the season through. Um, I can see trying to salvage the playoffs, you know, trying to get uh, a champion this year. I, I get the motivation for that. I, I don't see the need to finish the season off. I know there's this there's this whole thing about like, oh, how do you how do you determine who makes it? Um, and it's you know what it's it's unfair and it's going to be unfair regardless. If you come yeah. back and, and play to 76 games, it's still going to be unfair. Because, you know, the Minnesota Wild, they're a point back and they gotta they have to make ground after not playing hockey for two months. It's it's downright impossible. Like I, I it, it could happen. The teams ahead of them might all falter, but it's it's an imperfect system. There's there's not really gonna be a, a right answer here. Um, I think that there is a wrong answer and that would be bringing the season back for any type of completion. But that's just me. Yeah, I mean, uh, aside the <laughs> the revenue is the only reason that it makes any sort of sense to play a full playoff. That's it, because you're you're definitely going to get injuries you weren't going to get otherwise. Um, it, it 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 to me probably makes it more unfair to lo- have longer series at this stage. Um, it, it's. It's aside from money. There's no fucking way that a four round seven game playoff makes any sort of sense right now. And um, well, there, there's a there's a historical context to that. There's some continuity in saying that you know they didn't get the easy way out by playing less games, and you know you know what I mean like you how many how many times have we seen a uh, a comeback in a seven game series that wouldn't be an option in a five game series? Sure. So I, I see the argument in, in terms of a, you know, maintaining a consistency from season to season. But if your argument is that this season's already lost to begin with, then then totally like, yeah, let's 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 knock it down. Let's make it quick and and painless and get in and get out and, you know, yeah, get on with our lives, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, we, there's going to be more than enough time to, to debate the the logistics of the format if, if that's what they end up going with. The, the one thing I, I would say and it gives me a little bit of hope because, you know, I, I said it last episode and I'll say it again and my opinion hasn't changed at all on this is that I don't think they should be doing this at all. I, I don't, no. I actually don't like the plan, um, even slightly. I, th- I think it's bad other than shifting uh, the time of when the season should be played, but they could just start the fucking season in December without uh, playing any games till then anyway. They don't need to finish the season in order to shift when next season starts. Uh, they can just change it. 
So uh, that's the only thing I like about it. The one thing I will say that gives me a little bit of hope is the um, Philip Deneau, the Montreal Canadiens, was asked this week um, how he thinks that uh, NHL players might respond to the idea of, you know what I mean, maybe being away from their families for two to three months. And I mean, he like he basically said, you know, we're not probably not going to make the playoffs regardless. But um, he said like based on the guys I know, if the players have any sort of vote, the season's not coming back. And, and to me, that, that says a lot about, you know, where everyone's at with all of this. And, and I think that, um, you know, it's 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 worth considering anyway. At the end of the day, you know, the owners don't give a fuck. If, they, if there's a way to play hockey, they're going to fucking play hockey and you're going to shut up and play or, or stay home. But, you know, I'm hoping that if it comes down to an NHLPA decision... Uh, that, you know what I mean, maybe that helps us do the right thing, I think, which is not playing hockey. Yeah. It's it's tough, like, you know, like, I, I see the argument uh, that Deneau was speaking to, but I, I, gotta, I gotta wonder on the flip side of that, if I'm, you know, Henrik Lundqvist or something, and this is maybe my last dance, do I, you know roll the dice and say, you know what, maybe you know, let's, let's go for it. Let's, let's yeah. take a crack at, at one last cup. And, uh, I, I think it, it's going to be different for everybody, you know, like, a uh, a Patrick Marlowe, for example, who's got, you know, a, a family and, and everything like that, like maybe he doesn't want to jeopardize them. Whereas, you know, uh, uh, Mitch Marner, who's just a bachelor yeah. living at home, uh, you know, well, with his dog, and you know. and that's what I was getting at earlier, right? Is just the whole idea of of you know, if if the only thing you have to risk right now is yourself, then I completely get the argument, you know, because that that's where a lot of people are at with this whole pandemic, anyway. Like going back to it is like I I'm not really concerned about getting it. I'm concerned about passing it on to other people. But if it were, you know what I mean? If it were one of those things where. You know, you can get it, but you, you can't give it to other people or some shit. Like, you know what I mean? There's no incubation period on it or whatever. Uh, th- then, yeah, I'd be doing everything like normal. But the fact that I could, you know, pass it on to um, the people that I do have to, you know what I mean, that are in the confines of my four walls right now, uh, then then I think that's wrong. So, you know, I, I get that. And I think that's why, you know, the younger guys are going to be a little bit more gung-ho about coming back. Whereas, you know... I, I made the example with Blake Wheeler. I, I like. I'm pretty sure he was one of the guys this week who said that, you know, if we don't come back, like I'm, I'm good. Like, <laughs> like I'm good here. You know. Yeah. Uh, your thoughts on the draft um, and how uh, that situ- situation is being handled? <laughs> basically, it yeah. sounds like it's going to be delayed. Uh, but a lot of guys are, a lot of scouts and, and GMs are kind of pushing back on that whole idea. Yeah, I mean, like the draft should happen. When the fucking, when the regular season's done. When the playoffs are done. So, until those are cancelled, the draft should also be postponed to me. I don't understand the logic of just doing it because, well, it's in June every year. It's the same thing, like, the cup finals doesn't need to be in June every year. Draft doesn't need to be either. You know? You can move things back for the sake of just doing it, you know? Like... I don't, I, I, I didn't read into it because it just, it made no fucking sense to me. Why are they doing the draft until, like, why not just wait? What's the benefit? Well, I, I think that the, I think they are pushing it back. I just, uh, okay, I, I heard the, the opposite this week. I heard that there, oh. that there are, there, or at least there are people that still want to do it, like, in June, even if the fucking, you know, even if they're not playing hockey yet, but they plan to play hockey eventually, to still just do 
the draft. Like, normal. Which, like, what? Why? Like, why do you need to do that? You're gonna, you're gonna have, like, you're gonna do the draft. It's gonna, essentially, um, you know, there's gonna be no trade market. Zero. None. Nobody is getting traded at the draft other than, like, fucking Ken Klee or whatever. Like, you know, like, nobody's getting traded. So, that is already part of the purpose of the draft, is to kind of, you know, not gum up the works of the of the fucking in trade market. You know what I mean? It's kind of to reduce the logjam that's there the rest of the year. It's an opportunity where teams kind of go a little nuts and say, hey, you know what? Let's trade fucking Johnny Goudreau to the Hurricanes. Or, you know what I mean? Like, let's let's trade P.K. Subban to the Predators. You know, like the, like, the draft is crucial for the trade market, which is also crucial for your, like, jersey sales and revenue and, like... Without trades, the league becomes less interesting, and it's just a whole fucking rabbit hole to me that it just makes no sense to do the draft other than in the order of when you normally do things, which is cup finals and draft free agency. That's the order. In hockey, yeah. that, that's the one That's the one thing I think they have to stick to, and apparently it's the one thing that there's, like, debate on. How? Why need? Why do we need to tell that this that Alexi Lafreniere is going to the Red Wings three months earlier than than we otherwise would? Why do we need to do that? Like you know, what the hell's the benefit? I'll, I'll, I'll say I I agree for about ninety nine percent of what of what you're hitting home with. Um, the the one argument I've seen that I think makes a little bit of sense is the European guys that some of these teams are going to be going after. So uh, essentially, if if you wait to have the draft till the playoffs are over, um, it's going to force certain European players that could potentially be playing in the NHL next season to say to themselves, you know what, I haven't been drafted at this point. My you know Swedish team is asking if I'm coming back. They've given me an offer. I'm I'm going to play in Sweden next year, and there there could be a percentage of guys that are, are unavailable and maybe have high draft you know standing uh, that all of a sudden aren't as lucrative uh, in terms of of making an immediate impact in the NHL or, or even a, a long term impact if you if you take into consideration how some of the Russian guys uh, their their career paths take them through the KHL for a couple of years, so I I kind of I kind of get that argument, but it's I don't think it's a good enough argument to no, it's, that's, you know validate that's horrible to me because that's that's I'm gonna say roughly four players that might affect like that that's almost nobody the 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 one the one guy that's gonna maybe fuck over a little bit is Stutzla, but other than that. These guys are going to go back to where they would have gone back to. Like, let's be fucking honest here. A lot of them have the option to come over and play in the AHL. They don't have to. And that's why a lot of them don't. They just stay. Because, you know what I mean? Right. You tell me I can just live in Russia one more year with my family and then maybe make it in training camp next year? Yeah, I'm just going to live at home in Russia. Like, why right. Why would you come over to, to live in fucking Grand Rapids when you're 18 years old with a bunch of fucking people that you don't speak the same language with. Like, it's insane to me. The amount of guys that it's actually going to change where they would play next year, for maximum. So, like, I, I understand what you're saying, and, and if that impacts Stutzla's long-term trajectory, then, then 
you know, then so be it. This is the way I see it. Like, if you're going to pass on Stutzla because you don't know where he's going to play next year, you don't deserve him. (laughs) That's it. If he wants to play in the NHL when he's ready, that's all that matters. Do you want to play in the NHL one day? Yes. Are you willing to do anything to get there? Yes. Okay. Then we're going to pick you. Yeah, we'll, we'll see you then. Anyway, I guess uh, yeah, it's the meat of the episode, it, maybe. It's it's unique. It's it's an unheralded position. It's I, I like I said last week. I, I I really feel for anyone that has to make a decision in terms of uh, any sports league uh, for the you know next year or so because it's 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 an impossible scenario. There's there's no right way to approach it, and uh, I, I, my my heart goes out to them. So. Okay, yeah, so the uh, the heart of the episode, I guess we didn't mention that at the top, but... Uh, Meat and potatoes. Yeah. Uh, who doesn't love a good steak and fried potatoes? Um, it's, it's, it's got... This is a funny one for, like, people listening to it, because it's like, we didn't explain what it was going to be off the top. We didn't tweet it out or anything like that, like, initially. It, it's just like, turn it on and listen to what you're getting and people are 30 minutes into this not knowing what they're getting. The title doesn't really help much. (laughs) No. No. No, the title of the episode does not tell you what's happening unless you're psychic, really. Yeah. Uh, So, I had a a little idea. I I got the inspiration off of uh, another podcast that we listened to and uh, Brutes and I are going to go through and we've got uh, 20 categories and we're going to play a little uh, Mount Rushmore. Um, so the idea being that we're going to take a category and, uh, come up with the four best things or people that associate with that topic. So if it was, you know, the Mount Rushmore of ice cream flavors, it would be, you know, like vanilla chocolate, Rocky road and, uh, mint chocolate chip or cookies and cream or insert, your choice there type of thing. No, you, you, you had the correct four. Okay, good. So we've got uh, we've got ten NHL one or hockey ones, I should say. Ten ten hockey, uh, five non-hockey sports uh, based categories, and then uh, some pop culture to finish off, like usual, uh, for the episode. And uh, along the way, not not specific to hockey anyway. No. Those uh, those five non uh, non. Hockey sport ones may include hockey players. I don't remember if mine do anyway, but the along the way um, we're gonna try to come to some sort of consensus on what the four is. So if uh, we each have uh, the same four, then then perfect. We get along. We're we're perfect. Uh, you know, uh, our friendship has never been better. Um, but uh, when we start debating on who the you know fourth greatest hot dog condiment is, uh, it might get a little hairy. And, uh... Not one of the categories, don't panic. Right. Um... Do you... Is, like... Do people put four things on a hot dog? Like, I, I'm I'm three or less, generally speaking. I'll, I'll say my perfect hot dog has four items on it. Okay, what would those four be? Ketchup, mustard, onions, pepper. Okay, I don't... I don't, like... Do you mean banana peppers? No, just you know, you're, you're... like black pepper, yeah. or ground pepper. Yeah. Okay. I don't. I don't honestly. I don't think I've ever done that in my life. But I uh, those those first three are the three for me. Occasionally, I'll sub out um, onions for relish, but it's a very rare occasion. 
trying to think if there's anything else I, I I've enjoyed a good chili dog from time to time, but that's pretty much just you know chili, maybe some onions, and that's, yeah. that's it. So yeah, like like if I get a coney dog, right? I just get the fucking coney sauce and mustard. Like what are we what are we talking about here? Right. Like, I don't you know there's no fucking need to spice it up with a bunch of other shit. That's the reason you're getting a coney dog is for that whole the whole mixture. You know, my father is a big sauerkraut guy. I'll say that. Uh, not a sauerkraut guy. No, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's like one of those foods that I absolutely hate. Um, but it's, I'm not. I, I'll avoid it at at most costs. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. that's fair. Um. Okay. Well, with that, I guess we'll get going here. Um, we'll start out in the hockey category because it's a hockey podcast, and that just kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Um, and uh, once again, if you disagree with our choices or have one better, uh, please reach out and, and send us something on Twitter because we have nothing else going on during quarantine. Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, first category is uh, NHL forward of all time. So the four greatest NHL forwards of all time. Um, this is a category I think that the, there's, there's three clear-cut answers and then there might be some debate in the fourth one. Um, so I'll, I'll go ahead with mine. Okay. Lemieux Gretzky, Gordie Howe, and my fourth is Sidney Crosby. Those are the correct four. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I I mean, I want to put Yager, but the thing for me is that Yager... I mean, like, it's a different argument with Howe. I think Howe had a different type of career than literally anyone else, but, like, Yaga was never really the best player in the league. That's the thing for me, is, you know, he, like, maybe he was, but he wasn't recognized at it as that he wasn't the face of the sport at any point. Like, he was always, even when he was the best player on his team, he was always complimentary to the sport, more or less than he was a face of it. Hmm. Whereas for me, like, Crosby definitively was the the face and and you could argue that one of the things that saved the NHL um in in you know what I mean the late 2000s early 2010s so it's Crosby yeah uh how long until we're etching one of those four out for Connor McDavid probably not cons- not probably not that long um the reason being is that Gordy Howe more is an off-ice thing for me than an on-ice. Um, I'm not arguing that he was a great hockey player, but, like, I don't... He's not one of the foremost talented players to ever play the sport. You know, you know, like, that's not debatable. He's not one of the best four forwards, but he's one of the... He deserves to be on the Mount Rushmore. That's the conversation, right? Right. So, for for McDavid, not long. A couple of years, provided McDavid stays relatively healthy. I would agree. Um... It's it's more of a foregone conclusion, as like you know, uh, barring some sort of con- career-ending scenario, or maybe uh, COVID just takes us all down. So, <clears throat> wow. Um, <laughs> staying staying positive over there. You've stay- been watching a lot of uh, Twenty Eight Days Later, or <laughs> you know, I've never seen that film actually. Oh, real good. Uh, I, I would say one of the best soundtracks of all time. That's, that's one Mm. thing I would say. Mm. Mm. Okay. Good to know. Original, original soundtracks. I think there's one 
like one song. Other than that, everything was like made specifically for the movie. Mm. It's really good. Nice, really good movie. Um, NHL defenseman all time. Mm-hmm. I will. Uh, I will let you kick off the honors. Um, didn't seem that easy at first, but it it didn't take me as long as I thought it was going to. My four would be Bobby Orr, Nicholas Lidstrom, Ray Bork, and Paul Coffey. Um, I think the first three are for sure, but the fourth one was kind of tough. I I went back and forth between uh, Coffey and uh, and Brian Leach, quite honestly, but I ended up with with Coffey. Hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, no sugar tonight in my coffee. Bobby Orr, uh, Ray Bork, Nick Lidstrom, and I went Doug Harvey for my fourth spot. That's also defendable. Um, I like. Look. To be honest, I I the funny thing is I considered Larry Robinson too, which like maybe had like <laughs> maybe like looking back on it. Possibly, you could argue, was the better defenseman, but, like, he wasn't the best defenseman on the team. He just had the best career, maybe. Right, <laughs> like, yeah. You know? Yeah, it's... there. I think I think there's a lot of guys that could easily fall into the fourth category here. Like, I, I honestly think that there are maybe four, uh, on four or tonight. five guys that are in the conversation of that fourth spot. Um... To to me, Paul Coffey, the the one knock, the one reason I kind of discredited him was his whole career. You know, it was an, a, his defensive game was his biggest issue, and you know that goes back to you know the international events, even you know, the Canada Cup when you know he's the yeah. the last guy back, and everyone's you know okay, game's over kind of thing, and and whatnot, but uh, I, I see the argument. I, I definitely like that he's got the offensive numbers to support it. Um, Doug Harvey for me. He, he, Go ahead. Coffee did something that, you know, like I've, I've made this argument before on the podcast, more so about other sports, but I, I definitely feel this way about hockey. Paul Coffee did something that I think has been, that has been difficult since like the 1940s, which is going to another team and having... Uh, like as much individual success as you did somewhere else. That's to me like the idea that Paul Coffey went other places, his numbers maybe dropped a bit, but he was still like a lights out offensive defenseman. Whereas like how many times do we see a guy sign a contract and free agency or get traded and all of a sudden he forgets to fucking play, like forgets how to play hockey because he's wearing a different sweater and playing at a different city. Yeah. And Paul Coffey was able to hop around, and granted he wasn't great everywhere, but that's a separate conversation. The fact that he was able to go, you know, to Pittsburgh and these other teams and actually be useful to me has always been kind of impressive, because, you know, and Bork did that as well, and, um, you know, Bobby Orr probably would have had he not gotten hurt, but he also probably would not have left the Bruins had he not gotten hurt. So, you know. Well, it's, it's funny you mention that, because uh, coincidentally, one thing that I noticed when I was going through my my shortlist for the defenseman was that uh, Paul Coffey and Doug Harvey are two of only three defensemen to win uh, the Norris with two different teams. So mm. you know it's that you're you're spot on with that. He, you know, he he wins his. Who's cups. the third? Uh, who's the third? Who do, who do you think the third is? Uh... <laughs> Scott Stevens. Fun fact, Scott Stevens never won a Norris. 
That's fucked. Isn't it, though? Um, wow. I would have looked like an idiot if I trotted out Scott Stevens as my number four on the Mount Rushmore, because, like, he was considered. Um, I don't know. Who would it be? Chris Chelios. Oh, yeah. Yeah. God damn it. Plays ten years in every city he goes to, so. Yeah, it's, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of yeah. averages. Um, I, I will... I will concede the fourth spot to Paul Coffey in this one just because I I did have him very close to making my list. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think if I would have done it blindly without going in and looking looking back at it, he would have he would have had the spot. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's just a result of circumstances, so to speak. Yeah, and Doug Harvey gets overlooked just because like he had good offensive numbers for the time. But, like, when you look at it now in hindsight, it's like, fuck, he can only get, like, 50 points a season? Like, what was wrong with the guy? Oh, yeah. It's like, well, yeah, that's like, you know, every other defenseman got, like, six points that year combined, so. Yeah. No, it's, to me, it was more, it was the, uh, uh, you know, Bobby Orr's got the Norris count, and then it's like, oh, Nick Lidstrom's third. Who the hell could be second? Oh, Doug Harvey. So, yeah, he's, he had the hardware, he had the cups, he, uh, the, the numbers don't quite live up and uh i mean his his career high is all of two points more than coffee had goals in a season so uh yeah i'll uh i'll, I'll give you coffee on that one and uh, uh we'll, we'll keep moving here we'll go on to the goaltenders the greatest nhl goaltenders of all time i'll uh i guess i'll kick things off with a a trio that uh i think should be a lock. Now that I say it out loud, maybe not so much. But uh, Dominic Hasek, Patrick Waugh, Martin Brodeur, and my fourth spot went to Ken Dryden. Wow. Um. Yeah, I have the same three, and then I have Henrik Lundqvist as my number four. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Hmm. Um. Yeah, that's. I. I yeah. That's that's a that's a good. That's a good pick. Um, the the thing with me is Henrik Lundqvist, I mean, was a consistent goaltender for 13 years in an era where, like, I I really can't come up with a goaltender who was consistent for more than, like, seven other than him. And, you know, like, in an era where it was not easy to be a dominant goaltender and he was, like, the only guy of that era that was, like, routinely every year for at least ten years, like, in the Vesna conversation. So, um, he, he dominated goaltending in an era where, like, let's be honest, nobody else has, like, not even Carey Price, right? Like, when Carey Price was on, he was maybe the better goaltender, but... Who am I taking to win me a game seven in their prime? The fucking answer is Henrik Lundqvist every day of the week and twice on Sunday, right? Like, it's not even close. I'm I'm surprised. I I shouldn't say surprised because I I do agree Lundqvist is a great pick. But um, I'm kind of surprised that uh, no Luongo love on your end. Um, I kind of had Luongo uh, in the back of my mind as your, your fourth option. Um. Yeah, again, ups and ups and downs and um, injury problems, I guess, there too, right? Where, like, Lundqvist just had the benefit of staying healthy, right? Like, that's, um, you know, maybe it's a different conversation if 
things go better in Vancouver for Luongo or, you know, he ends up staying healthier. He doesn't sign that contract. Like, you know, it's, it's an interesting conversation. Um, but I've been long of the mind that uh, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Like almost any goaltender in their prime, uh, I would take Lundqvist to win me one playoff game in their prime. I don't, I don't even think I like I I wouldn't take Patrick Waugh over Lundqvist. Hmm. <laughs> uh, he proved you know uh, he fucking sometimes he's pretty fucking bad in Game Sevens actually. Yeah. <laughs> so that's uh, that's that's good. That that's uh, that's a fair argument. Like I, I, again, like Henrik Henrik Lundqvist, I think there is a, a group of three or four goalies that has a shot at this this. Uh, this honor, so to speak, not that not that the list of podcast uh, is an honor. Uh, How dare you? But um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to argue against Dryden. I'll, I'll like the the one shot against him is that uh, the guy decided to uh, retire at 31 to go be a lawyer, and like, okay, that's fine. You just won four straight Vesnas, four straight cups. Uh, <laughs> And I mean, like, he certainly had the best resume at the time. The issue for me with Ken Dryden is, like, I don't know a lot of people that would argue that Ken Dryden was the best goaltender of the 70s, right? And that, like, that's the thing. Like, is he the best of his era, even? Like, he's got the best resume, for sure, but was he the best goalie? And, you know, you could make the argument with the other three, too. Like, is was Brodeur a good goaltender if he was on the fucking Islanders? Like, well, probably not. No one would have been. But, like, these guys had the benefit of playing where they played and, and had the careers they had. And, and, um, Dryden definitely is another one where I think a good goalie, but also, you know, a benefactor of the team in front of him. Right. So I, I get the argument too. Cause I did consider him, but he's been someone like, I've, I've never really had the benefit of watching tons of seventies games. Mm. So like when I've watched him play, yeah, he's, he's horrible. So is every other goalie though. So <laughs> like they're all, they're all fucking bad. Basically, until Patrick Waugh comes to the NHL, right? So. Yeah. Well, that's tough. Um, I mean, the... I'll concede. I'll concede. Dryden. He he had the better. He won. He won many more Stanley Cups than Henrik Lundqvist. At least and, at this point, I don't know how how much longer Henrik Lundqvist is going to fucking play. Yeah. But like the thing with Lundqvist, and the only thing I'll say is like Price never really had a great team. Lundqvist had some pretty good teams. I don't know if he ever had a great one either, but I think, like, he was, like, a goal or two away, man, from, like, winning cups some years, you know? Like, it, it just, they didn't get the bounces some years, and it kind of is what it is, but he, he's someone I consider, yeah, he, he hasn't won a cup, but he almost has in my books. Like, he's been good enough in the playoffs to me that I consider him as at least, like, a good playoff goaltender, and that's saying something because it's you know there aren't a lot of those he he had a real good stretch there for about four years in a row um where he was he was lights out and 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 you know you can't help but wonder you know did he not win it because of the team in front of him or or you know what what really was the cause there but at the same time of you know you look at the bulk of his career He's also had some pretty bad playoffs as well, uh, where you could say that, you know, maybe if the goaltending was a little better, you know, the Rangers could have really had a shot. It, it's it's back and forth. I I don't know. I, I I never really considered the 
this is going to sound crazy to say out loud, but I've never really considered the fact that Dryden was great in terms of his trophy case because he played for the Habs. I always assumed that the Habs were kind of great because they had Ken Dryden. And I've, I've maybe, maybe that's just me being naive. I've, I've never really considered it to be the other way around. Um, but, but I, I guess there's an argument there. Um, I don't know. You know what? I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, re respectfully decline, um, your, your concession. And I'm, I'm going to say that Henrik Lundqvist should be uh, on the list here. Okay. You've talked me into it. Thank you. I've talked myself into Thank it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I hear like you waiting for the hot take. Pretty sure he's the best goaltender of the four too. Like, you know, like it's Ooh. just, it's hard. I really wish I could have seen him instead of like Mike Richter in the late nineties, early two thousands, or like, you know what I mean? Like seen Hasek and Wah a little bit more, well, Wah on this, like at all on this side of lockout, at least Hasek made it to, to, you know what I mean? The, the <laughs> post 2005 side of the lockout, albeit not amazing anymore, but he was still pretty good. Yeah, I, I would love to see him in that era, um, but I, I I think Hasek yeah, is gonna. the guy. I think he's the goat. Hasek's just the weirdest one to me because it's like, was he good or or did the puck just hit his pads the right way all the time? Like uh, I've never been. I like I still think he. I still think like pound for pound the best career out of any goaltender ever. You know what I mean? Like what for what he did with the garbage teams in front of him all the time, like it, it's super impressive. But oh, he, I don't he, know. He, like he it's is, just... he is like the the ultimate opposite of what Martin Brodeur was to an extent. Where if yeah. you put Hashik on the New Jersey Devils, they they don't win three cups. They probably win six or seven. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm not joking. Yeah. Well, I mean, he but he's 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 one though with Hasek. You got to wonder if he's one of those like James Reimer types though. Would Hasek have been good only facing eighteen shots a night? <laughs> we'll never know because he never played on a team True. where he got less than like thirty five shots True. a fucking period. Yeah, that's oh the Sabers were fucking horrible in the late nineties. My God, it wasn't great. How that team made it to a Cup final? I Ted Nolan and Dominic Hasek. Your, there's your answer. Your first pairing out there. Well, is Lindy Ruff, Richard Schmelnick and Teppo Newmanen. So, yeah, good, yeah. good luck, Dom. Uh, all right. Um, NHL coaches. This this is uh, this was a tough one. I'm not gonna lie. Well, I I'll, I'll save the spoiler alert here. Uh, Scotty Bowman. Yeah. <laughs> Scott Bowman no, for sure. No, no. The the other three for sure. I could see this is one of the rare ones. I I could see us having three of the four different, um, but my other three are Joel Quenville, uh, Al Arbor, and Glenn Sather. Not necessarily like I didn't put any of these in any order. Sure. I just put you know four what I mean, names. the four yeah. that I yeah. thought. Um, yeah, no, I I Sather's the tough one for me because tactically I I don't know that he really is a hockey genius and more so maybe just a guy that never really coached a bad team or not not many i shouldn't say he never coached a bad team he he coached several bad teams but like you know what i mean like i just i don't know i don't know that the oilers win four cups with or without him I, you know what i mean like i don't know how much of a real big factor he was he definitely helped 
he's not an idiot, but, um, he's a tough one where it's just like, what I'm saying is I think maybe his resume, uh, is more impressive and there are other guys like I, I thought of Ken Hitchcock. He was on my list for quite a while. And then I talked myself out of it pretty aggressively. Actually. Um, there were a few guys like I, I still think there's a case to be made for Babcock. Um, but yeah, those are my four. Yeah. Um, wow. Um, I've got, uh, I've got Bowman and I've got Arbor with you. So we got those, we got those two out of the way. Um, my next two, uh, were Dick Irvin and Pat Burns. Sorry, your, your four are who? Uh, so Bowman, Arbor, Dick Irvin, and Pat Burns. Now, uh, now when I mentioned Hitchcock and Bab and Babcock, yeah. the two though, that were, um, like the closest to making my list were Dick Irvin and Pat Burns as well. Um, I, I, I don't really have a case against Pat Burns. Sather kind of made it because of the resume. Uh, and Irvin is a guy where, you know, I, I never really met anyone born in the fucking, in the 1800s, <laughs> but I will say this, uh, I don't know that Dick Irvin really is like <laughs> that great of a tactical coach and maybe was just the benefactor of a sport where everyone was awful. But I mean, the thing is, is you got to find a way to win. That's, that's the one thing that's never changed about the sport. And he found a way to fucking win a lot. So yeah, I, I think he's definitely impressive. It's just more of a, um, it's really like, like anything, like, like with movies, it's the same thing. It's hard for me to compare anything prior to like Woodstock to, <laughs> to something <laughs> from after Woodstock. <laughs> like, I think that's kind of the barrier in time for me. Yeah. It's tough. It's, I don't know. It's for, I'll, I guess I'll start with my defensive of Irvin, um, in that, um, it, it's a two pronged defense, um. Uh, one of which being uh, he's the only coach to have more Stanley Cup final appearances than Scotty Bowman, which I think uh, speaks uh, volumes about his ability to take a team and, and lead a team and, and show them how to win. Uh, but I'll concede the fact that this happened in an era where there was only six teams, so the odds were a lot better that you would be one of the last uh, two uh, mm-hmm. remaining. Where, where he really wins me over, uh, though is the fact that he was a player for so long prior to his coaching career. So he, he actually played professional hockey mm-hmm. for you know, 16, 16 years, something like that, uh, prior to becoming a coach. But he played the game completely different to the rules yeah. that he had to coach the game. So yeah. while I can't sit here and say that I've, you know, oh, I've watched a whole lot of Dick Irvin you know, games, um, I can, on paper respect the fact that he played one he basically played a different sport and then coached a different sport and was more successful in coaching that sport um so that that always impresses the hell out of me and especially like even nowadays like guys who played in the 80s who were like a shutdown defenseman and they can come in and their their team leads the fucking league and scoring all the time you know like i think that's super fucking cool um guys that just are so smart at the sport and so you know what i mean that they can just carve a career playing one way and coach a completely opposite way right i mean like that's sort of how i coach i guess when i coach hockey is like i wanted to score a lot of goals with speed and things off the rush and quick outlet passes and 
uh, you played with me. That was not really the focus of my game. I was uh, at the red line shit talking the other team's bench cherry picking. Like that was more uh, that was more my style. True. Um. So yeah, he's. He, I, I I would say if I had to let um, one of my two options go, uh, it would be Pat Burns who. Okay. Uh, was next. Um, the, the problem. So we can agree on Bowman. We can agree on Bowman. We can we, agree on Arbor. We can. Okay. Um, and then we got two spots open. Uh, I think the argument. Quenville, go ahead. Quenville kind of gets the the argument for me that I kind of made about Lundquist, where it's just like in in the Mike Keenan era of hockey coaches, things started become to become a little bit of a carousel, and Joel Quenville is a very rare example of a coach who's been like incredibly successful with not one not two but three different franchises and and to me like that's i can't i can't think of another coach that's done that at least since i've been watching hockey you know like there there really isn't one that i can think of so like that's quite impressive to me um and it's just more of a recency thing on that i think he's coached the era or coached in the era that's for sure the most complicated to coach in, and has done the best job. Hmm. I I definitely get the Quenville argument. He was on my on my list initially as well. Um, I will not argue against Dick Irvin, really. Like other than what I already said, I will not argue against. Like he, for sure, the the fucking, you know, it's super impressive what he did. Still. Hmm. Um. I, I think the knock against Pat Burns is just the body of work. He he didn't really last that long. Um, no. You know, he, he came in, he won three Jack Adams awards with three different teams, which is insane. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that'll ever be done again. Um, but Well, and prior to 03, the issue with Burns is you could, ha- you could have made the Bruce Boudreaux argument with him in that he couldn't win the big game. True. And yeah. then he did. And, you know, like, we're not going to fucking blame him for for Wayne Gretzky tomahawk and fucking <laughs> a guy in the face in 93. Like, you know, like, that that's that's not that's yeah. not Pat Burns' fault. But, um, <laughs> certainly, <laughs> certainly it didn't, it didn't help <laughs> his resume. No. Yeah, it really didn't. Um, um. <laughs> Wayne Gretzky committed murder on no I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not one of those I'm not one of those I didn't watch the game live so I have no reason to be mad Should about be it Should be rotting in a jail cell <laughs> Him and Carrie Fraser should be locked away on fucking Alcatraz by themselves as far as I'm concerned Whoa whoa you got to relax man that game was 27 years ago <laughs> yeah, Welcome to my TED talk um. <laughs> all right. Uh, so I, I think we're gonna we're, we'll go Irvin and, and Quenville. Yeah, that sounds yeah, good. With that, that, that sounds fair. Yeah, yeah. Look at that. Ir- Irvin. Irvin, I believe, was the one who actually technically got cut for Sather on mine. So okay, and yeah, it was probably Quenville for Burns and and in the flip side of that. So look at look at look, look mm-hmm. at this coming together. This is so easy. I'm sure the the yeah. the, the rest of the. 18 categories are going to go this smoothly. Um, <laughs> well, these are the ones where I think there's more debate. Like, like we're going to get to topics later that are just a lighter topic. You know what I mean? These are more like 
the groundwork for the sport that we fucking talk about for two to seven hours a week. So, you know, like, like these are the ones that we kind of got to nail down. Whereas like, as we get further down the list, it's just, uh, like, you know, yeah. it's just more opinion, I guess. Fair enough. Uh, the best female players of all time, the, the female mm-hmm. Mount Rushmore of hockey. Well, um, much like every category to this point, there are a couple that f- I would assume are on your list where, um, for me, Haley Wickenheiser and Cami Granato are the two absolute staples. Like, when you ask people who the greatest female hockey player of all time is, those are kind of the two names come to mind. If you're Canadian, you say Cami, or if you're Canadian, you say Haley Wickenheiser. If you're American, you usually say Cami Granato. Um, my other two are uh, Manon Rayom and uh, Angela James. But there's certainly a lot of room to move, kind of, because once you get beyond the top two, I think it's more of a fluid conversation, depending who you are. Fair enough. Um, I've I've got Wickenheiser as well. I've got Granado as well. I've got Angela James as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've got Cassie Campbell. Okay. Um, I honestly did not remember about... Um, Man already know. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that is a hell of an argument. <laughs> so yeah. As soon as you said it, I thought I was in trouble. So um, yeah, I, I'll say the one that I cut is Nora Ratty, who's actually still playing right now. Um, the reason I cut her is a just doesn't quite have the the long resume yet. The short resume is ridiculous what she does have, but. Um, I kind of just, Nora Ratty probably looked up to Manon Rayom at some point. I would imagine most female hockey players did, because the fact that she fucking played in an NHL game is ridiculous, you know? So it's like, um, I think she's got an impressive career, and um, the fact that, you know, she is somewhat of a trailblazer kind of paved the way for players like Nora Ratty. My uh my late cut was uh Kendall uh, Coin. Um, okay. I, I I think I think she's gonna get here. I think she's yeah, I think she's a, a, a Rushmore uh to be. Um that being said I, I can't say for certain who would fall out, but I, I look at what she's doing now and she's still playing and she's still active and I I have really been blown away by her her skill on the ice the way she plays the game i i, I think she's a phenomenal hockey player um uh, someone that could easily play in today's nhl and i i say that with full confidence um so i think if we do this in you know five years from now uh i'm, I'm probably putting her name down the list but uh like like to your point about ratty just there there isn't quite the same body of work present as the other uh people on this list um i'm, I'm gonna go ahead and, yeah. and 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 give you a renome because like i said uh that was a total blanking on my part um i i i don't i don't want that to take away anything from cassie campbell because i i think she had um an, an incredible career and if there were five faces on rushmore i, I think she's the fifth for me um but uh, there's only four, and that's how the, the statue thing was built. The mountainside was sculpted, so that's that's that on that. Um, okay, this is a fun one, uh, only in the sense that um, 
this this really this this is essentially the most um, Rushmore-esque uh, category that we have. Uh, NHL goon, because they don't really exist anymore. They're a thing of the past. And, and... Yeah, I, I did like how you put, for every other NHL category, you put all time. You were very specific. <laughs> every category, actually. Like, even some of the pop culture ones, you were very specific. All time. This one's just NHL goon. And, yeah, like, you know, I'm not gonna fucking put, like, Michael Haley on my list. So, um, yeah, we're like, it's definitively uh, a thing of the past. Uh, my four are Tiger Williams, Bob Probert, Dave Schultz, and Ty Domi. Uh, even though I only ever watched, like, one and a half of them play, I saw Probert briefly at the end, but... Um, yeah, that that's that's pretty much it. Uh, it's it's Probert, it's Dave Schultz, it's Ty Domi. I've got Dave Semenko in my fourth spot. That's acceptable. Um, that, would, that would be phase five if I had one as well. Yeah. Um... I, I thought long and hard about Tiger Williams. Um, yeah. He definitely has the numbers, so to speak. The reason I left him off was because uh, I found that during his career, he was never really the the goon, more so than... You know, he's, he's always been more Brad Marchand, in my mind, than than actual, sure. like, you know, Colton or George Peros. Um, he took a lot of minor penalties as well. It wasn't a lot, you know, it wasn't, he wasn't heavy on the, the fighting, per se. Um, whereas, for me, Dave Semenko was a guy that was, hey, uh, yeah, you can't play hockey, um, but you're big, and you can fight people, and we don't want yeah. our guy Wayne out there to get hurt, well, so... I like I, I I I mean I guess it should be noted too though if if we're having that conversation that like Bob Probert could also play hockey it was more or less extenuating circumstances that kept him sure. or kept him from being a twenty five to thirty goal scorer every year but um yeah, it, yeah. that's fair uh, yeah no like definitely like Probert for me is just like the, the guy that. He, he was the best of both worlds in a sense, but, um, you know, he, he's he's going to fight every game. It's not if, it's who. Uh, whereas I, 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 think, I, I think he's the foregone, absolute, hands-down NHL, uh, you know, he, he is the goon. He was the heavyweight champ. He was the, the guy that, you know, if you lost to Bob Robert, you go home at the end of the day, you don't feel bad about yourself kind of thing, right? But... Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, to me, it's it's kind of a toss up. I, I think I I think there's a strong argument for both both guys. Uh, Williams was definitely right there with me uh, till the end, and um, he's got the bigger body of work. He's got way more games played. Um, like you know, well, once once Gretzky left Edmonton, Semenko's career was pretty much you know, <laughs> thanks, don't need you anymore kind of thing. Um, so I, I guess if you want to say the the greatest goons of all time, uh, Tiger Williams uh, makes the cut um, in in that sense. Yeah, I mean, like, if the argument is who's four dudes in their prime hockey playing that I wouldn't pick a fight with, I I don't know that these are the four. 
Right, but like when you think hockey goon, these are like the four names sure. that come to mind. You know what I mean? Like, like I I would probably put Stu Grimson on this <laughs> list, <laughs> but like he isn't a household name when you think about it. But like that dude, that dude's kind of fucking scary. I mean, the Grim Reaper guy's scary. Yeah, like. Yeah, you know what the mintest part about Stu Grimson is too is like now he's like a broadcaster. He he is one of like the best looking guys on hockey television. Like you know what I mean? Patrick Sharp, all due respect, but like Stu Grimson for like fifty something looks great. You know he he's very charming. He's on Jay and Dan all the time. Got a lot to say. He's an interesting dude. If you were to tell someone that this guy used to fuck people up on the hockey rink, like you wouldn't believe him. Because it's just like, oh, but he's just so nice. No. He's... He was horrifying. <laughs> he was fucked. Um, yeah, look at him right now. Not not, not a guy I would pick a fight with, for sure. Uh, no. Okay, so yeah, Tiger Williams is in. Uh, that's your that's your Rushmore. Uh, best NHL franchise. So uh, this one came, came with a little asterisk. Um... Not looking for the team with the most cups. Not looking for you know the team that had the best player. This is just a, a kind of a broad overview of you know their on ice success, their off ice success, their competency as a as a franchise more more or less. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let you kick that off. Well, the way I kind of looked at it is based on everything you said, I simplified it by just kind of being like, if I'm trying to sell the sport to to someone who doesn't watch hockey, who would be, like, four of the teams where you can make the most compelling case that they should, you know what I mean, watch these teams? And my answer to that is the fucking Chicago Blackhawks, the Montreal Canadiens, Toronto Maple Leafs, and the Boston Bruins. There is something to be said for these teams that do have the rich history, I think, right? So... You know, like the Oilers have had two of the best players to ever play the game. The Vegas Golden Knights have maybe the most fun on-ice, in-house version of the game, you know what I mean, to watch. The the Winnipeg Jets probably have the best, like, the easiest fans to get along with. There are a lot of selling points on a lot of these other teams. Something to be said for a team with rich history that's also competitive now, that's well-run now, and all four of these teams... Uh, are pretty much well run now. I'll put the asterisk on the Chicago Blackhawks because John McDonough was let go <laughs> yesterday. So I don't know that they're well run anymore, but un- up until last week, uh, for sure, they're actually number one on my list. So I'll, I'll start this out by saying that if, if we did this even like maybe a year ago, the Detroit Red Wings are on my list. Um, That's they've fair. taken a real hard nosedive, and to that they're probably still in the top ten, top five, maybe. Yeah, I mean, like the two, the two that I thought about that didn't make my list were the fucking Red Wings and the Rangers, because you know what I mean. They just happen to be the two teams of these of the six original te- six teams that are most down on their mm-hmm. luck right now. So, well, not really the Rangers, I guess, but. They also have a long losing yeah. history, so it's kind of yeah. tied tough. for second most cups in you know twenty five straight years of playoff appearances. It was hard to leave the Red Wings off, but I did. Um, so my four are the Montreal Canadiens, the Chicago Blackhawks, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and the Tampa Bay Lightning. 
Um, I think the Lightning are a great example of the NHL getting a little bit creative about you know where to put a hockey market. They've won a Stanley Cup. They've drafted extremely well. Um, they've been able to create, maintain, and sustain a franchise in the state of Florida, which, uh, as we uh, have proof of evidence, is not so easy to do. Um, so, you know, they're, they're competitive now. They've basically been yeah. competitive for... Speaking of teams yeah. that should hire... Speaking of teams that should hire John McDonough, uh, the other Florida team. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I see the Lightning. They don't have All they don't have the same body of work. They don't have the same history. But right now, I think that they are one of the NHL's premier franchises. Um, and if the NHL, the light, sorry, the Lightning and who? Who were your other three? Lightning, Blackhawks, Leafs, and Canadians. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. See, and like, honestly, the the ironic thing about this conversation is like, the the team that almost didn't make it for me was Montreal. Like, I think the Bruins are a, are, are an incredibly easy team to market. Um, it, it gets a little tough if you're talking to a sports fan who hates the Patriots, hates the Celtics, hates the Red Sox, you know what I mean? I like all those teams. I hate the Bruins, which is like, I'm an anomaly, but what I'm saying is like, if you're trying to show someone to hockey... There's a lot you can sell the Bruins on. Like, I hate the Bruins because of the team that I like. But had I maybe just, you know what I mean, read up on teams before I picked one, I I honestly might be a Bruins fan today because their their history is super fucking cool to me. Um, I like teams that are a little rough, rough around the edges, and the Bruins certainly always have been and probably always will be. There, I think it's pretty cool. There's definitely an argument that the Bruins today are a top franchise i just i look at i look at how long they've been around and the stretch this is going to sound really redundant or not redundant but really ironic coming from a leaf fan but the long stretches (laughs) of ineptitude that have gone on in boston (laughs) that's great like they're uh they're an original six franchise they've been around for about a hundred not quite a hundred years and they've got what Six titles? It's like being a Raiders fan and just being like, oh, I'm sick of the Bills. They never win anything. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're a Raiders fan. Shut the fuck up. They won, they won a couple cups in a couple years in the late 30s during the World War II era uh, where it was uh, not really worth putting a team on the ice. They won a couple cups because of Bobby Orr in the 70s, and that's about it. Uh, they've they've long been a team that just hasn't had it together. They've gone through stretches of really bad drafting in the past. Um, I, I agree that today that they're they're on the short list if if you're looking at a uh, you know a, a five year window perhaps. But over the course of their entire franchise, I just don't see it. Yeah, it's fair. What was I mean when you're hot you're hot right like if if we're making this list 10 years ago I think the Dallas Stars are on my list and now I don't know if they crack the top 10 because the last you know Dallas is 8 or so yeah. years they haven't really been the same thing but like 10 years ago they were the lightning they were the southern team that was always in the race they sold they had the longest running shutouts or a sellout streak for a while 
and that's crazy. Like it wasn't, it, it, you know what I mean? Like it, it wasn't the Leafs. Like I don't know how that's possible. Uh, the Stars fucking sold out. Well, it's because they sell standing room only. I know how that works, but like, you know what I mean? Like they they sold a higher percentage of tickets than any other fucking team for the longest time. And it's like, if I were to give you a guess, who, you know what I mean? Who would have done that? Regardless if you're a hockey fan or not, you wouldn't have guessed Dallas in the first 20 fucking teams, even as good as they were. They had such a, a an, uh, like a great culture. Still do. It's just taken a little bit of a step back. That's all. Yeah. Da- Dallas is a tough one too. Cause again, if, if you're speaking to the, the overall theme of, of the category, um, mm-hmm. they're a franchise that had to relocate because they couldn't make it yeah. work. So yeah. if you're looking at strictly what Dallas has done, which I guess, you know, it's, it's hard to blame them for what happened somewhere else. That's not Dallas, you know, that's not the Dallas citizens fault. Yeah. But no, I'm, know. I'm the, I'm that way. Like I don't, I don't in any sport when a team relocates, they're a different team to me. I understand that they're not, but I don't, you know what I mean? I don't consider the jets era of the coyotes although you don't get the coyotes the way they are now if they were expanded rather than moved from winnipeg like i get that it has a a a thumbprint on what they end up as Mm -hmm. i'm just saying i don't ever when a team relocates they're new to me yeah fair enough um so we we both agreed on canadians leafs and blackhawks correct Mm -hmm. okay so this this comes down to that fourth slot here um uh what are we? What are we? What are we thinking? What are we like? I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I can, in, in good conscience, put the should, Bruins. Sh- should we just say you'll put the Lightning aside? I'll put the Bruins aside, and we'll just put the Red Wings on there. Ooh, wow, that is because the Red Wings have like as rich a history as those other three teams, richer than the Blackhawks, in all honesty. So, you know what I mean? Like, I, and I think they're an easy team to market. They have one of the greatest sports logos of all time, which, uh, hey, we're going to get to on a later episode in the next couple of weeks. And like, uh, I, I just think there's a lot of marketability to the Red Wings. So I, like, I, I would, I would put them on there. Uh, under Dave Illich, they were definitely uh, one of the greatest run franchises in probably sports, not just hockey. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's tough because again, like, currently it's not good. Um, Steve Eisman just came over. Maybe it turns around real quick, but uh, I don't know. I, 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 I would, I would, I could live with having Detroit on there instead of either of those other two mm-hmm. teams. Okay, all right, Martz, do the Red there Wings. There we go. Look at, look at us making making magic happen. Oh yeah. Um, okay, this was, this is a little ambiguous, but this next category is is the best hockey <laughs> culture thing. So basically, anything that's yeah. been invented by the sport or is known to have a, you know, a big presence within the sport um, in terms of a cultural impact, um, that's that's this category. Did, would you like me now, to go first, or, or did you have some questions? Well, what, what I was going to say is, is this is one where I don't think we're going to be able to come to a consensus, and I'm going to tell you why, is when I initially did mine, it took me so long to think of even NHL cultural-specific things rather than just like I don't like I don't know like hockey culture that's one thing for me it's hard for me to separate hockey cult like it's just a lot of it is just ingrained in me I got to be honest with you so like this is one of those things where I'll say um this is more robot programming in who I am as a person rather than things that I realize that I believe in or do right like I'm just going to say that like a lot of these are just just innate so um 
my four culture things are related to the NHL specifically. Uh, most of them, anyway. Uh, my four favorite hockey culture things and the greatest cultural things that I think the NHL brought us is uh, the concept of playoff beards, which I don't understand why every sport doesn't just do that. Uh, the the handshake at the end of the series um, in the playoffs. The then put it, putting the names on the Stanley Cup, so not just the Stanley Cup itself, but the fact that we actually, you know what I mean, if you've won the Stanley Cup within the last however many years it is, 25, 50, I don't fucking know, but your name's on the cup, which I think is cool, and then also, which I think is a staple, hockey, non-hockey, doesn't matter, the fact that we throw hats on the ice uh, when someone scores three goals, I think is pretty mint, so those would be my four, uh, but three of them are fairly specific to the NHL, I guess. This, that's that's a very interesting list. There's you get, you have a couple there that I didn't consider. Um, so I've I've got playoff beard right there with you on that one. That's that's a no brainer for me. Uh, I've got the handshake line. I think that's definitely one of the the coolest things that um, our sport has to offer and uh, became a little bit more prominent or you know you know. Not prominent, but it, it took on a better meaning. I've been watching that uh, Last Dance documentary about Michael Jordan, and they they talked about how the you know the Pistons wouldn't shake the Bulls' hands after after they were knocked out by the Bulls, and mm-hmm. it created this whole firestorm about well you know well, we shook their hands last year, shook their hands the year before, and all this, and and then this team had the you know audacity to walk off the court. With time left on the, you know, like the game wasn't over, kind of thing. So I, I'm, I'm really, oh, yeah. I'm really proud that you know, like the hockey as a sport has as, that. As someone who believes in the handshakes and things like that, like, like almost to a fault, I will say this: uh, the Pistons walking off the court without shaking hands is one of my favorite fucking sports stories ever. I think it's so fucking funny. <laughs> Wait till you see this documentary, man. I, I, there are, there's no team I love more that I never watched play a single game of basketball as the fucking late '80s Pistons, man. Holy shit, do I love those guys? It's fucking awesome. There you go. Um, uh, the other two that I have on on my list um, are uh, retired numbers, which was hmm. something that was actually you know began in the NHL, and uh, the the hockey sweater, you know, the the jersey. Uh, a lot of the other, you know, pro sports leagues in general, they, they're played outside or, you know, in, in relatively warm conditions. Hockey's indoors, it's cold, they got to wear something a little bulkier, a little bigger. Got the logo right on the front of the jersey. You know, you, you don't find that, you know, you know, baseball and, and football, for example, the logos aren't really displayed prominently on the jerseys, if, if at all. And uh, so that's, yeah, those are my four. Um, I... Uh, I don't. I, that's that's really tough. I, I think I think we've got six really good options. Um, at the end of the day, um, yeah. I mean, it, it's a it's a tough one. It's a it's a broad topic and kind of goes back to what I was saying. Like, more than likely, the best idea here is to just kind of um, move on without without trying to come to a consensus on the four because it's kind of hard to to weigh some of these things against the others. Oh, for sure. It's comes down to values, right? More than anything, I guess on on that one. Yeah. So, 
there's probably a million and one things that it's what I was trying to say earlier. Like there's probably a bunch of things that I don't even think of as hockey culture that are, that are just like part of who I am that I don't, you know what I mean? I don't even associate with from hockey. Mm. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of, of those things that, um, okay. Um, yeah, that's, that's fine with me. Um, we'll leave it at that. Uh, the greatest NHL rivalries, um, mm. the sport. Um, so I, I didn't, I didn't put down all time or current. I just kind of left it open ended. I think a rivalry once it starts, yeah. it's more or less gonna go. You know, if the rivalry is not tense now, then I don't look at it as something that is that sustained over a long period of mm-hmm. time. Right, right. If it's not currently active. Then, then it's a shitty rivalry. So, for example, the Leafs and the Senators hated each other. They don't anymore. So, you know what I mean? Because the Leafs were horrible. And then, now, the Senators. So, <laughs> so yeah. Like, you know what I mean? That's not an active rivalry. Um, my my four are the, the Bruins and the Canadians, which has a long history. It's still more than active today. Uh, the Flyers and the Penguins, the Oilers and the Flames, and the Sharks and the Golden Knights. Wow. Sharks, mm-hmm. Golden Knights. Um, it's awesome. It, no, that's a great rivalry. Um, that and that's my favorite of the four. Like, like you give me any of those four in like a you know what I mean a March battle for a playoff spot type game. Sign me the fuck up for for Vegas Sharks, mm. man. I'm in all day. Um. I'm right there with you on the on the first three Montreal, Boston, Calgary, Edmonton, Philly, Pittsburgh. Um, I've got Leafs and Habs. Um, Fair, you know, English, French, blue and red. It's it's got a bunch of different layers to it. I think the biggest problem is that they haven't met the playoffs for so long, and and mm-hmm. really that that's the only downside to it. They're another one. It's it, like it's tough for the Leafs to have much in the way of active rivalries right now because for about 10 years they didn't play a meaningful hockey game sure you know so in the in the way like you know what i mean you can call the bruins the leafs rival like most intense rival all you want it's if they if they if those playoff series don't happen like they hardly even pay attention to each other sometimes when they play those regular season games it's just another game sometimes i don't i don't really think they're 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 much but the leafs habs have a little bit to it uh and a a lot of that has to do with the fact that the NHL insists on only scheduling them to play on Saturday nights or the first night of the season. Like, they essentially will not play each other unless it's fucking Hockey Night in Canada or it's Wednesday night, opening night of the season. Other than that, they... they you know what I mean? Those are all their games. So that adds to the rivalry because of the allure of Hockey Night in Canada and, you know, getting into either of those buildings on a Saturday night is asking for trouble. So... Yeah, I, 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 I would say that that was probably the closest one I cut. Penguins Capitals is obviously great, yeah. but it's a kind of a, it's a different kind of rivalry. Again, I don't really get the sense that those teams hate each other. I don't even get the sense that Crosby and Ovechkin even moderately don't like each other. I think they're friends. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't. That's another one. Like I love it in the playoffs, but during the regular season, I probably wouldn't watch penguins capitals for the sake of watching it you know 
at, so. at one time, I would have put the Rangers Islanders down on this list as well. Um, sure. They fucking hated each other, and especially when the Islanders were winning yeah. all those cups, and and you know, like just here's yeah. the original six team, and we're gonna give you your city a little, you know, your you know little brother franchise. Oh, and by the way, they're gonna have more cups than you in about uh, ten years. So enjoy that, Rangers yeah. fans. So. Um, yeah, yeah. If the, in, in another one too, like if the Devils and Rangers were good at the same time at any point in the last fifteen years, that one—that's another good one that's fizzled off. There are a lot of good oh, ones, like Red Wings, Avs. You know how how intense yeah, like, was like that? We, exactly. We could go on. We could go on forever. Like Leafs and Flyers hated each other at one point. Now it's like the most routine game on the schedule for either team. You know, it's like that rival. There's a lot of like mini rivalries. But those are the four uh, that I think of, at least right now, have the most potential to keep going. And um, but again, it, it goes it similar to the hockey culture thing. It's kind of hard to really narrow down when I think of uh, you know Rushmore rivalries. But those are the four that I would think yeah. of. No, it's fair. Sharks and Golden Knights. That, that's a great rivalry. Um, really mm-hmm. budding, and for especially for a team that's only been around for less than three seasons so yeah what a three-year oh, run it's boy. been holy yeah. shit they're almost turning into a reality tv show where i'm <laughs> watching their games almost every night just to see what happens uh, something's gonna could, happen you, just kind of speaking to that could you imagine being like seattle right now and like hey we're supposed to start playing hockey in september and now you guys want to delay the season until december and <laughs> All the rest. <laughs> they're supposed to come this 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 fall, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. Still no, still no well, name. Still nothing. Oh, twenty twenty. No, never mind. That's that's next year. Next, next fall. fall. But yeah, never mind. What yeah, am I talking about? One one more year. Yeah. All right. Never mind. I I don't know what I'm talking about. All right. The Mount Rushmore of the greatest hockey moments to end off our hockey category. This is a tough one. I think it's a deep field. Um, uh, I'll I'll let you take the honors on this one. Yeah, it's another difficult one for me because um, I'll I'll be quite honest with you. I actually um, and maybe a trigger if we have any uh, um, older people listening to the podcast. I actually don't really give a shit about any of these four moments. I'm going to be quite honest, but I will say that they are maybe the four most recognizable moments when I um, discuss. Uh, you know, the, the greatest hockey moments, I guess these are the four, uh, which would be Paul Henderson in 72. I believe Bobby Orr's goal in 70 in the finals where he's gets tripped upon scoring the winning goal, uh, miracle on ice and Gretzky passing how for the goaltending lead. I will put an asterisk. Uh, the fifth face for me would be Darren Roanoke scoring the Stanley cup winning goal. Uh, in the Love Guru in 2007, but wow. it didn't quite make the cut mm. for me. Um, so here's a fun fact. Uh, mm. We have one matching category. Uh, yeah. Cool. Um, I'm going to guess Paul Henderson would be the one. No, sir. Um, oh, wow, okay. I've got the Miracle on Ice. I mean, that like that's a thing, right? Like For Miracle on Ice... I don't care about it as much as Americans sure. do. 
And it's the same thing for the Henderson one. Like you could you could easily say that neither of those two things are iconic hockey moments. And that's the problem. Like Sackick's winning goal in 02 was like something I considered. Um the golden goal was another one I considered, but like I don't give a shit about the golden goal. So why would anyone else outside of Canada give a shit about yeah. it, you know? Um no, I've I've got the Miracle on Ice. Um okay. I've got the Vegas Golden Knights run to the Stanley Cup Finals in their first season. I think mm, that's that's, that's an fair. incredible story that will never happen in pro sports again. Uh, I've mm-hmm. got Ray Bork getting his cup. Ooh, and true. I've got Mario Lemieux returning in 1992 after beating cancer yeah. to win the Art Ross. Oh, in 92? Okay. Cup. Yeah, the 92 return. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, I was going to I was going to say I just watched the 99 one um 2000 or 99 2000. 2000. 2000. Uh, was on TV the other night, and uh, I, I, it is the only game I would say where the Leafs get absolutely fucking shellacked that I would watch over and over and over again. I, you, I will watch. I could watch if you told me to pick ten games ever in the history of the NHL that I could watch over and over again. That is on the list. I would watch that game. Over and over again. The fact that the fucking Mario shows up 20 seconds into the game, he's on the board. Like, that's crazy to me. Like, uh, that's so yeah. cool. Um, but the 92 is, yeah, a little bit more emotional, I guess, than the 99 they got used to him. Or 2000, I guess, they got used to him leaving and coming back. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's it's the entire idea that he, he leaves midseason, misses, like, mm-hmm. 50 games, comes back. He's like, yeah, you know what? I, I think I still want the Art Ross and goes off for... 28 points in 12 games to win it and then they win the cup as well which is just the cherry on the cake as far as i'm concerned um the 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 paul henderson goal i i kind of agree with i can see some merit there i don't like the or pick uh just because i don't even think it's the it's the best stanley cup winning goal um of of all time so it's it's just for it's me. Iconic. It's, it's iconic. It's definitely that's, iconic. that's all it is, right? Like it's, it's um, it's the most famous hockey picture I think sure. ever, yeah. right? So, like you know what I mean? It's just one of those things. Like I'll go to someone's house, uh, you know, in happier times, of course, not any time recently, and go into their basement when they're where they got a bunch of like a uh, stuff on the wall, and like that's a common picture to see. Yeah. I think. Like, I know more than five people that have that. Like, my fucking dad has a picture of that in the basement, I'm pretty sure. So, you know, like, like to me, it's just iconic more so. I, I'm not... Like like I said, all four of those moments, I didn't watch them happen. Um, I've actually never seen the Paul Henderson game. I've seen the Orr one. I've seen Miracle on Ice. I've seen Gretzky Pat. I've never even watched that game. Because it doesn't mean anything to me. But it means a lot to hockey fans. That that's what it is to me. Um, you know, the the greatest hockey moments for me. None of them are in are are over twenty years old, right? Because I didn't watch hockey twenty over twenty years ago, so I don't care about anything that really happened prior to two thousand. Yeah. I, I I think <laughs> so, for me, like you know. a, a great hockey moment is something like say say you had a book in front of you and you could read about a moment with no visual background. I, th- I think that's what makes it mm-hmm. like to read that, hey, Bobby Orr scored the game-winning goal and to win the... You know, that's that's very cool. 
and and I think the photo is is so much more iconic than the moment, uh, which has made the the moments seem more iconic. But in any of these other categories, if you if you read them on paper, it it becomes a a, a jaw dropping experience. You know, oh hey, this guy came back from cancer, mm-hmm. won the scoring title, and then the Stanley Cup. You know, oh this team of college kids beat the greatest hockey team in the planet at the time, and you know won the gold medal in the Olympics. You know? Yeah, the one thing I would say with the Lemieux pick though is so your moment though is him actually winning the cup or it's winning the Art Ross because like a moment is only one thing. Hey, a moment isn't four months. Um, I right? I guess a moment a moment is a, is a thing that happened I'll, to me a singular. I'll say thing. his return, him him coming back. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, that's fine. I just I yeah to get more of a clarification what right. we're talking about here. Yeah. No, it's it's yeah. It's tough, you know what I mean. For me, it's, it's if I if I didn't see it happen, I don't really care. Like Solani would be the maybe the only one that I wasn't watching the game when he scored the the rookie lead goal. I think is pretty cool. That that would maybe be the only one from before my life that I think is is something that I find super interesting. Right. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's tough, but fair enough. Um, okay, well, we'll get to our non-hockey category then. Uh, we've only sure. got five five topics for this one. Um, and we'll start it out with uh, with a pretty cool one, I, th- I, I think. I think this is a really interesting uh, category. It's a fun one. The greatest non-hockey sporting event. Rem- reminder of happier yeah. times. What, 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 what mm-hmm. are your four best or, you know, ideal sporting events? Uh, without not including hockey, um, not in any particular order, but I, I I have to acknowledge the Super Bowl. It's not really something that I um, was super into until maybe like eight years ago, but I've I've embraced it now. Um, I enjoy it. It's maybe the only. It's one of the only two on the list where I definitely make an event of it every year as well. So I acknowledge it. Uh, I think it's great. Uh, I would probably prefer to watch any of the other three actual sports, though. Um, in that, I would like. Here's the thing: I don't know if I would really have such a close relationship to the Super Bowl if I weren't a Patriots fan, too. That's another thing, right? I don't know if I would have really been as receptive to it. Um, and I picked the Patriots in a in a time where they weren't winning Super Bowls, so it was kind of there was a bit of a gap, believe it or not. So, when was um, that? You know, like. <laughs> Uh, 20 it, years it ago. happened yeah but i i mean so th- that probably has a little bit to do with you know why i like the super bowl so much but the the other three for me uh march madness which is again something that i really wasn't into until maybe the last five years but i've really kind of uh received that a lot uh the masters and the world series is again it's always been a staple for me it's uh um, whether or not my team's in it, I don't remember the last time there was a World Series that I didn't really give a shit about. Um, even if it's two teams I don't like, that is one I will sit down and watch pretty much the whole thing. Okay, so, sorry. Those sorry, are the uh, Super four Bowl, for me. World Series, Masters, um, and what? Yeah. March Madness. Right. Yeah. Okay. March um, Madness. All right. So for myself, mm-hmm. I've got uh, the Mad- uh, the March Madness. I've got the World Series and I've got the Masters. Uh, 
um, noted, not too big hockey or football fan, I should say. Um, so, yeah, not a big hockey guy. Welcome to my hockey podcast. Um, not a big hockey guy. True. Uh, my my really? fourth is actually the yeah. FIFA World Cup. Been gabbing about it all night. Um, yeah, I I love watching the FIFA World Cup. My dad is actually a, oh, a really fair enough. big soccer fan. Uh, watches all the Premier League stuff like that. And when the World Cup is on, it's one of those things that him and I kind of, you know, like I I could give a shit about Manchester United, but Team England or you know Team Italy or something like that, like I can get behind that kind of event and yeah. It is one of those things where I like the event more than the sport. Um, and I would say the Super Bowl is a little bit similar to that. Like, I'm a football fan and I follow football. Foot, like, I feel like I'm like a hockey, like some of those like advanced stats nerds when it comes to hockey. I, I feel the same way about football. I find the stats and the strategy and the actual paper stuff hmm. more interesting than watching the games. I find the games are actually kind Fair. of boring. I'll watch them. I'd give anything for a football game right now, but I, I, the sport is a lot of standing around and, um, soccer's kind of the same for me. I like the structure of the world cup and I think it offers a lot of parody and that's interesting. Um, but I, I would say soccer is the sport that I'm least likely to watch. Okay. Of any, like any kind that's, of sport. That's interesting actually. Like I, I, uh, I didn't think it'd be like the least you know, on, on your list. Can't but, think of anything. No okay. I almost, like, I almost put really. uh, Olympic curling yeah, on my list. That's fair. It was probably Yeah, like, like, like I, yeah. I'm, I'm probably more likely to watch the fucking Kentucky Derby than a random soccer okay. game. Like, I, there's not a lot of fucking sports I would, I would wa- rather watch less than now, soccer. Now that I say it out loud, like, I, I don't, I don't know if I'd, like, I've, I've woken up at, like, 4 a.m. to watch Olympic curling. I don't know if I could say the same about those other four events, so maybe I'm, Maybe I should put uh, curling back on the table here. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean the good news is um, you shouldn't have to wake up at four in the morning to watch a World Series game ever. So <laughs> hope. they, uh, <laughs> despite the fact that it's called the World Series, most of the games are played in America. So <laughs> yeah, most of keep. Yeah. <laughs> I I say yeah I say most of. I got home from Kenora this year to find out the Yankees and the Red Sox were playing in London. I turn on the fucking game. And it's it's like one o'clock in the afternoon, and it's like pitch black at this game. I'm like, what is happening? Matt Vaskersian live from Wembley Stadium. What the fuck? I like how you told that anecdote instead of the time that uh, the World Series was won north of the border two years in a row. But uh, to each their own, I suppose. Oh yeah, I guess there is a yeah, Canadian. There team. is. Yeah, should be two, but there is. <laughs> well. Much like we were, much like we were talking about earlier, I didn't see the Blue Jays win the World Series. That's why I don't give a shit about them. So. Yeah, uh, they were fucking horrible when I started watching baseball. So didn't get on that bandwagon. Yeah, spoiler alert: uh, uh, Touch 'em All Joe was almost in my uh, uh, one of my categories that's coming up next uh, uh, grouping. But mm. um, okay, yeah. anyway, I guess we should move along here. Um, I've got all-time non-hockey athlete. Uh, yep, yeah, my four are um, Michael Jordan, uh, Tiger Woods. I almost said Tiger Williams. Ooh. Tiger Woods. Uh, he, yeah, Williams not on the list. Um, uh, Serena Williams, who is still playing, but I 
sort of consider her prime to be done, therefore she's an all-time to me, and uh, Muhammad Ali. Wow. I, I will say honorable mention to Michael Schumacher. I I just... I To me, the, the four that I came up with are kind of the most clear-cut, but Michael Schumacher, um, yeah, with an equally dominant like comparable dominance to Tiger Woods and his prime kind of thing. So there is that, but he didn't make it. Okay. Um, I have got Tiger Woods as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got um, Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. I've got Roger, uh, Roger Federer. I thought you were going to say Reggie Miller. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you have two basketball players? Yeah. Uh, nope, not the case. Uh, uh, Roger Federer, and I've got Bo Jackson. Mm, that's yeah. He he was very close for me as well. Yeah. Um, anyone that can play uh, two different sports, uh, you know, in twenty four hours of each other, uh, yeah, at a professional level, seems like a well, good and athlete. but other guys have done it. The difference is Bo Jackson did both well, whereas like some <laughs> guys were like, you know what I mean, good at one and like okay at the other. Bo Jackson was like really good at both. Oh, you, you you mean two sport athlete Michael Jordan wasn't good at baseball? Not good enough. <laughs> Tim Tebow also considered, but he wasn't great at either sport, so boom. That's, that's fair. Boom. Take a knee. Yeah. Um, Where's your messiah now? Interesting that you went uh, Williams and I went Federer, considering both are still technically active. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, like, you can make a case for Federer, I just think Serena Williams dominated the... I, like, I, I picked the four athletes that either are iconic for, for like, incredible reasons, like Ali and, and Michael Jordan, um, and Woods and Williams, with maybe the two most dominant runs of their, you know, particular sport of any athletes ever. Right. So, you know, my reasoning's a little bit different for both, um... You know, like, you gotta have the resume to back it up, right? The the thing for me is, like, physical athletes to watch play their sport. LeBron James, you know what I mean, is the greatest athlete I've ever seen in my life. But, he doesn't have the resume Jordan does. Shut the fuck up, people at home listening to this. Like, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't! It's that scene from Bad Teacher. Call me when he has six championships. You know. True. I'm getting in, yeah, I'm, I'm ranting here, but yeah, no, those are my four. Okay. To kind of play off of this, we've got athlete, non-hockey, but currently active. Um, mm-hmm. or, or currently prominent, I should say. Because, like I said, Federer and Williams both are, are current Yeah, that, that's players. the thing, right? Yeah. Um, so I've, I've got LeBron James, Mike sure. Mike Trout. The fun, the fun thing with LeBron James, and I guess Mike Trout, but to way less of an extent. The fun thing with LeBron James is he's on mine as well, but... Probably isn't even the best basketball player anymore. It's just like, it's hard to kind of reconcile where he's at, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's a kind of the combination of the resume and how good he was in his prime for me on that one. So. Sure. But yeah, I have him as well. Uh, LeBron James, Mike Trout, Serena Williams, and uh, Lionel Messi. Okay. Sure. Uh, yeah, my, my four are LeBron James, Mike Trout, um, as well as Connor McDavid, and Lewis Hamilton would be my fourth. Um, 
I considered messy, but yeah, it, it, the thing for me is it's again, it's I I don't really watch him, so it's a it's one of those. It's the one sport I'll say I have a bias against, and I just don't. I just don't know enough. You know what I mean? I don't watch him play, therefore I can't appreciate how good he is. He doesn't look any. He doesn't look good to me. I don't so, fucking know what I'm talking about, though. So, so you 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 put current hockey athlete Connor McDavid in the non-hockey current athlete. Category? Oh yeah, it's non-hockey. I guess, eh? I I honestly I didn't really pay attention to the fact that we couldn't have hockey stuff. At all in this one. I thought it was just not hockey specific. Uh, um, I, I don't know who my fourth would be. I would have to probably think about that for a minute or so. Uh, that's fair. That's, Tom Brady comes to mind. Uh, noted Tampa Bay mm. Buccaneer Tom Brady. Um, yeah. But... Here's the thing. As a Patriots fan, um, don't even know if he's the best quarterback on your roster. Good oh. luck with that, Tampa. Well. Um, I, I would probably put Patrick Mahomes, actually, now that, now that I'm thinking about it. Um, he was very close to making my list um a rare combination of a guy that can run like hell and also throw the ball like crazy um mm. whereas Lamar Jackson good runner not that great of a um not that great of a passer but good enough Tom Brady can run but it's like watching an injured gazelle out there but he can throw <laughs> quite well or used to be able to anyway um yeah I I I'll, I'll go Mahomes instead of Connor McDavid then okay well right on um Interesting that uh, no Federer on your list. I kind of assumed it was going to be he'd be one or the other in, in terms of all time or current. Um, he he doesn't have the resume to me to be one of the greatest four athletes of all time, and he isn't good enough to me to be anymore to be one of the four most dominant anymore. He's still really good. I understand that, but like if we're talking current, I'd be more likely to put Novak on there, who's. Um, as a person, I'm not a big fan, so I don't I, I don't really acknowledge him that much either. So, um, who's yeah. The, who's the third tennis? There's no, Novak Federer. Who's the third male tennis guy that's... Currently? Yeah. Or, like, I was going to say, last... like, Nadal. Nadal, that's it, yeah. Nadal's really of. good. Yeah. Yeah. And he's he's another one, like... He, he's, like, 1B, right? Like, it's, it's Federer, but, like, Nadal's been really fucking good, too. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I I'll I'll throw another honorable mention out there. Brooks Kepka is that's fair. Cr- he's like that's crazy fair. to me. Like not quite the body of work, I don't think yet. But not not quite. But like close. A, a short run of dominance comparable to Tiger Woods. Man, he he's kind of won a similar amount that Woods did in a short period of time in the mid two thousands. So right. um, yeah, he's another impressive one. Okay, uh, we've got our Rushmore of stadiums, fields, uh, arenas, etc. Um, that you would want to, or or maybe you have uh, attended for a sporting event. Oh, I uh, definitely have never been to any of these four. Yeah, um, same. No, the 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 coolest sports venue I've been to is uh, probably the Rogers Center, but I haven't been to that many. So, hmm. that'll that'll be the default. Target Field's pretty cool, cool too. I will say that, but it's it's new and doesn't have any history. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I I um my four that I would like to attend: um, Wrigley Field, Fenway Park, Madison Square Garden, and uh, I put Lambeau Field, but I didn't really. I thought of it more just like the iconic sports venues, hmm. not. 
so much somewhere I'd want him at 10. I don't know that I'm that interested in going to Lambeau. Um, okay. Probably Augusta. I think Augusta would probably would probably bump out Lambeau if, if it were me planning a trip. But I think in terms of I, I, iconic, you can't not include Lambeau. You have to include Lambeau. Okay. Um, I've got Fenway and Wrigley with you for sure. Uh, two of the oldest, most prolific sporting venues in North America. Uh, I've got Augusta on my list as, at, at three. And uh, if I if I had the opportunity, if I was in the area and and there was a, a match being played, um, I would I would definitely go see a, a, a game at Wembley Stadium. I, th- I think that that's uh, yeah, it's just one of those places, right? So there are a lot of really big soccer slash football stadiums that I would like to go to um, around the world. Wembley, Camp Nou. Uh, the big house, you know, like there, there, there's plenty of those. Um, but another consideration for me, and it's a smaller one, but I, I had to consider it a little bit. Is would I be interested? Well, well, yes, but would I be interested <laughs> in watching the sport being played? Was another thing. So that's fair. I, that's Wembley, why, uh, Wembley college football like and soccer did not make the cut because uh, yeah. they are the two things I'm least interested in. Probably Wem- Wembley Stadium might have that kind of like asterisk thing where maybe I'd rather go see a concert there than a soccer yeah, match. Yeah, big time. But it's 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 well, a venue. I mean, it's a venue. Okay. I go and to. then going back to non-hockey. So if I'm going to MSG, I'm not watching the Rangers. Meaning I'm probably watching the Knicks. No, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd save my money and go to Terminal Five or something and see a small show rather than go to MSG if I'm in New York. But uh, if there's someone playing at MSG, I'd I'd, I'd go see a concert or a. Or a, or a comedian, perhaps. Ah, yes, the the good John Mulaney, uh, mm. perhaps. Yes. Um, okay, to round out the non Cook live at MSG <laughs> again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down. Dane, Dane, Dane Cook live at MSG with his uh, current tour. Here we are again. Um, uh, okay, so to round out the non hockey category, the greatest non hockey sporting moment uh, of all time. Yeah, this is a very difficult one. Oh boy! Is Again, it one that we will not come to a consensus on. I'm I'm probably pretty sure of that. But my my four, and I I have since seen footage of all four, but I watched none of them live. Uh, would be Tiger Woods winning the Masters 2005, uh, the Rumble in the Jungle, Foreman versus Ali in 1974, uh, Michael Jordan's The Shot, and uh, Babe Ruth calling his his home run. Wow. Um, we, for the first time, have gone over four on a category. Um, so my my four are ironically uh, Tiger winning the 2019 Masters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. That was that was a late cut. Yeah. I couldn't have Tiger Woods on there twice, so I had to, I had to cut it. That's I, uh, that's very fair. Uh, the Chicago Cubs ending the drought. Serena Williams winning the Aussie uh, Open while pregnant in 2017. And Kobe Bryant's last game hitting 60. Sorry, what was your what was your second one? Uh, the Cubs end the drought. Yeah, I mean, what I'll say about this is it's very clear. 
uh, when we're going through these lists that uh, we both have recency bias, but one way or the other. You <laughs> you very much like shit that's happened recently and that you've seen, whereas I um, think that everything happened before I watched sports is above my opinion or something. I, I don't know why I, I think that nothing that I've seen can be viewed as better than stuff that... Like, I don't know. I feel like I just have, like, a way too big a respect for all this shit that 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 happened and and maybe i shouldn't you know what i mean have the have the same thing um in terms of sports events that i've witnessed tiger winning the masters last year is probably number one i did watch kobe bryant's last game it's an honorable mention i will say and leave it there um yeah that that would be a tough one as ones that i've actually seen um would take me quite a while to narrow down well, it's funny you say that because I've only seen one of my four. So yeah, um, well, but they all happened while you were watching sure. sports. Like they all, all four of them happened within the last like three years now. Yeah, yeah, uh, roughly. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, it's tough. Like I, I, I think that the Babe Ruth home run thing is, um, it's a cool idea. It's never been proven it like you know what mm-hmm. i mean like there's there's no footage or you know evidence to say that it definitely happened i i'm a little doubtful that it did it, it to me it's become one of those cultural phenomenons that uh he was the greatest and he called his shot and he did it and all that and um i've got some doubt there uh but aside from that the other three are all very very valid uh you know, former Ali. Um, I just, you know, it's it's one of those things where you've got to pick four events, and there's, you know, fifteen sports to pick from. So, you know, former Ali is is probably the greatest boxing moment of all time. Was I thinking about boxing making my list? No, not really. And that's that's my fault, right? I, you know, it's it's yeah. just a, a aspect of of making a list like like we are. So. Boxing's one sport that I've never, ever dabbled into at all, uh, in terms of, like, me actually, you know what I mean, learning how to box or anything like that, but it is something that I've read about and studied a fair amount, it was something that my dad was interested in a lot when I was a kid, and, um, so I have a, I have a really fond respect for a lot of, um, history of boxing, which may come as a shock, because, uh, another thing I'm very on record being against is the UFC, but I... I I have a lot of respect for boxing, and there's three or four moments I honestly considered to to be on here. But uh, it's yes, the same the, thing too. Like I, I there are there are several really big Formula One moments to me too that are like in terms of how impressive the moves were. You know what I mean? Like I, I think are among the most impressive things I've ever seen, and are viewed within the sport as such. But not something that, you know what I mean, if I brought up in conversation to someone that they would have any fucking clue that it happened, right? And that's that's another thing. Oh, yeah. There is I, footage I, of Babe Ruth calling the shot. It's just that you don't necessarily know that that's what he means. So the legend goes that he's pointing there because that's well, where the ball's going. But there is actual footage of him pointing. It's just like I've, he, I've he seen... could just be swinging the bat. I've seen that, but I've I've also seen the argument that the footage of that game was not from that game. It was from the mm. game prior, sure. um, and so there's some debate on on that. 
Um, but yeah, I, another one for me that comes to mind is you, you bring up Formula One. Um, Dale Earnhardt Jr. winning the Daytona 500, you know, where his dad died. Like to me, mm-hmm. that is an all-time. That's probably really the cool. greatest. That's probably the greatest NASCAR moment of all time, in my opinion. Right. So it's very high on the list. Yeah. You know, short of making a a, a greatest moment for each sport list, it, it becomes difficult yeah. to to narrow all these down. I, I think we've got a, a great list of options here. Um, there's no wrong answer. Uh, it's it's more or less a, a, a what do you feel is is better. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I mean, like it, it's tough know. for me not. It's tough not to bring um, personal feelings sure. into it too. But like, I this was one I actually did kind of do a little bit of digging and like for moments like what do other people think as well. And these obviously were all four moments that I'm very aware of and very familiar with. But um, you know, another one that kept coming up was the Patriots coming back against the Falcons, which you know what I mean it is yeah. It's maybe my favorite. It's my favorite football game I've ever watched. But that's you know what I mean because I like the Patriots and is it really viewed as that iconic in the in the grand scheme and yeah it is but like you know what I mean it's right it's another one of those things if I trot out here and say it's one of the four greatest moments am I being a homer or am I not so you know maybe I overcompensated a bit there but that's another one too like you can go on and on right yeah this is to allude back to it um, the the category where you know Joe Carter came to mind for me like. The only yeah. guy to hit a walk-off home run in, in the World Series is is you know Joe Carter. So pretty cool. Like that that's an iconic moment. But again, there's some bias in that, right? So it's yeah, and it's, it's one of those things tough. too. Like I don't I don't know, I don't know. I'm not I'm not saying it isn't, but I don't know how well you know talked about and revered that moment is in America. Like I don't know if that's actually a big baseball moment. Well, as big a baseball moment as I think it is either, right? Like, that's another thing. So, um, it's, it's, it's hard. It's, 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 weird, it's all contextual. It? Like, yeah, it's all it's, contextual. It's, yeah, it is. It's, it's weird because, like, you could you could say that every kid in America, or at least every ball player in America, grows up, like, fantasizing in their backyard about hitting, oh, I'm going to hit, here, here's bottom of the ninth in the game seven of the Worlds, and I get the home run, and, and you win it. And, like, it's only happened once, and it was Joe Carter. And mm-hmm. no one really seems, at least in America, to give a shit. Even though, you know, that's the one example you can turn to and say, here, it actually happened. Um, but, yeah, c'est la vie, I suppose. Yeah. I, w- I will say this is, like, I don't have a team that I cheer for that really had much winning history in the somewhat recent years before I started cheering for the team. So I don't know if I would feel the same way if, like, the Red Sox won the World Series in 93 instead on a walk-off home run. I don't know if I would feel that way. I have no idea. I can't put myself in your shoes because I don't have a team. The Raptors have no history prior to 2013. Look it up. There isn't one. Nothing happened. (laughs) Um... You know, like, the the Maple Leafs won the Cup in the 60s, and then they haven't won since then, so I don't really, you know what I mean, I don't have a moment there. The Patriots hadn't won shit till Tom Brady came around, and the Red Sox hadn't won anything since, you know, since basically before <laughs> electricity, until since I started the, watching the team. Since the Ottoman the, Empire, the, yeah. The game, I, the first, <laughs> fuck, I shit you not, the first game I sat down and watched the Red Sox was... Dave Roberts' stolen base and Ortiz walk-off home run. So I literally started watching them 
the hour that they came note became noteworthy. So it's like you know what I mean. It's hard for me to like compare. I, I don't really know um, if I would have that same bias as you. I don't know. It's it's hard. It's it's it's, it's funny tough, how sports yeah. creates very different experiences for people who are watching the same thing. You know, definitely. Yeah, it's it's weird. All right, that brings us to our final um, category. Uh, we've got the pop culture segment of the show. We have five categories. Uh, this is going to be a little bit more, you know, personal based. It's, it's hard to really say, you know, for sure that yeah. these are the best of all time. There's definite arguments against, I think, everything that we're going to say for the next few minutes here. But uh, this is how we feel, and this is our podcast, and we can do that. So deal with it. Um, sure. So the, the, the best music album um, in, in your opinion, sir, the the four the, the Rushmore of, of music albums. Yeah, I mean that's the thing, right? Like with with Rushmore, there has to be some sort of an iconicism to everything, right? So um, about these albums, there's one that I probably wouldn't sit down and listen to in on my own time very much, but uh, the four for me would probably be uh, Abbey Road by the Beatles, uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller. Uh, Dark Side of the Moon, Pink Floyd, and Led Zeppelin 4 would be the four for me. Oh, I agree with you on two of them. Uh, Led Zeppelin 4, Dark Side oh. of the Moon. Thriller is, it's, it's hard to argue with. I just never really crossed my mind. Um, it, it definitely, I, I think that, you know, in the grand scheme of things, there's definitely a, I think that definitely takes a spot. Uh, on the on the grand scheme of things, uh, the 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 other two I went with were um, the Joshua Tree by U2 and Let It Let yeah. It Bleed by the Rolling Stones. So okay. uh, you know Ab- Abbey Road, you know again right there in the mix. It's it's an iconic album. Um, I, I I actually think uh, Sergeant Pepper's uh, is the you know the Rolling Stone magazine. I think they have them at, at, at as the greatest rock album or yeah rock album of all time is Sgt. Pepper's. I, I can't stand that fucking album. So <laughs> it, it it was actually yeah. Abbey Road. Um, oh really? When I looked it up. Yeah, I, I read that article. Yeah, uh, Sgt. Pepper was top twenty, but um, yeah, all of those were I believe were in the top ten. Thriller was two, okay. I think, and then Dark Side of the Moon was four, hmm. five, Led Zeppelin four, somewhere in the top ten. Um, but again, like it's one of those things that's got to have, it's got to be somewhat iconic to me. Like if I'm sitting down to pick four albums that are, are also just genuinely front to back. Great. Like the Joshua tree is, is up there. Um, you know, like it, it just, again, it's very contextual. Right. And that's, um, that's kind of the, the big thing. I think we're looking for four albums where there's a, you know, a, a, a cultural, recognize you know like people say that this is a great album and you right. and i can you know maybe say that yeah front to back it's great but it's just not really our cup of tea at the end of the day right so yeah and that's where i'm at with abbey road right it's not it's not my cup of tea but it's right. a good album uh i would sooner i would i would sit down and listen to thriller front to back i have well i've listened to all four of them front to back but like i would sit down right now and listen to thriller front to back and same goes for led zeppelin 4 and dark side of the moon but um you know in terms of my four favorite albums of all time they're they're not i probably wouldn't put any four on the list on any of those four on the list i really. don't even maybe I led zeppelin 4 
those are the four from those four bands that I would pick. Uh, so yeah, it's yeah. it's tough. Uh, that be that being said, to stick yeah. with the uh, uh, inambiguity of the uh, theme here, uh, the 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 best front man or front woman, I, I, I should say, mm-hmm. um, uh, in music. I do not have a front woman. Um, uh, my four are Robert Plant, Freddie Mercury, Mick Jagger, and Jim Morrison. Again, got to be a level of iconicism. I don't know that these are my. Well, they're definitely not my four favorite. I've said on the podcast before, I don't like the doors. But those, to me, are the kind of the four um, most iconic as well as combination of iconic and good. Like, they're mm. they're good. They're just, you know... One of them happens to front a band that I don't listen to at all. Um, you know. I went uh, Mick Jagger, Robert Plant, Freddie Mercury, and David St. Hubbins from Spinal Tap. No, um, uh, Kurt I'm Cobain down. was my fourth. Fair enough. Yeah, uh, how could you not? S- similar yeah, to Jim exactly. Morrison, just yeah. just you know, like similar in the same exactly. similar veins. They're, they're very much the same person if you break it down, actually. So, um, mm-hmm. very different stage. Possibly presence. the reincarnation of, if if you want to go that far. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. You might want to do the math yeah. on that one. Yeah, I don't know if that true. checks out, does uh, it? Not quite. Yeah. Um, Maybe. It's close. It's pretty close. Yeah, a little off. Uh, the the Mount Rushmore of guitarists. Yeah, this is an interesting no one, eh? <laughs> As, uh, uh, we're, yeah, I mean, we're, we both play the guitar, and I would say kind of had somewhat different introductions into it. Um you know, I, I, as far as I know, anyway, you were, you were mostly self-taught. Um, I was mostly self-taught as well, but I have a father who has a degree in music. So, um, I had a little bit of a different experience with it, I guess. And, and, you know, was shown, shown things more so left to figure things out for myself, uh, until a little bit later. And then I kind of did reading on my own and form my own opinion. Not my four favorite, but I th- I think genuinely the four best guitar players that I can think of are Jimmy Page, David Gilmore, uh, Jimi Hendrix, and probably a bit of a sleeper pick here, and I know it's not going to be on yours, but Stevie Ray Vaughan would be number four wow. for me. I, I could sit and watch that guy play the guitar all day, and the amount of... Sh- crazy different things he does with it it's just awesome Stevie Ray Vaughan is an excellent pick and it's yeah, I, I, I'm not even going to try to argue against it because I, I don't I shouldn't I should, yeah, I, there's no need to <laughs> yeah like and that's a thing too right there's there's a lot like that's one thing I've always kind of liked about the music industry is not all across the board but certainly within rock there's a lot of respect within the genre I think a lot of rock musicians just respect each other, I think, and I, I think that's really cool. And having said that, there's like five or six other guys that like I'd be perfectly fine putting on the Mount Rushmore. Like like, you know, Eddie Van Halen was probably the guy I looked up to the most growing up in terms of playing guitar and um you know, like he he is close for me, but he doesn't make mine and um you know, Eric Clapton's a guy I never got into. Respect the hell out of him, but he's not my cup of tea again. Um, it, it's just music's interesting oh, that definitely. way. I think. 
I've I've got Gilmore, who I consider the the, the greatest guitar player of all time. Uh, Jimmy Fair Page, enough. Jimi Hendrix. Uh, there's a there's a, mm. a certain name theme I'm I'm sensing. Um, my my mm. my last pick is is a guy that I was never high on growing up. And Jimmy Keith Richards. <laughs> um, I like the I like the music he made. Jimmy Van Halen. I never really saw the talent in the music he made. When I got older and I got more into the you know playing in a band and, and stuff like that, my respect for him grew, but it still wasn't really high. And it wasn't like I I read an article about this guy not too long ago about why he should be considered the greatest uh, guitarist of all time. Um, that it, it really opened my eyes. Brian May um, is my, hmm. my fourth pick. Again, not not a guy that's known for the solos or you know the the squeals or you know the stage presence per se, but just an an all around excellent sort of guitar guitarist. You know, I, I think there's a lot lost in in terms of you know, you look at, at like a Slash is a great example of, of a guitarist that's really talented, and yeah. he can he solos really well. But there's almost something to be said about you know uh, a band that has one guy, because you know Slash can fuck off for a while and doesn't really have to do much of the writing. He just has to show up and play the solo every night and. And whatnot, and that's not to say yeah, that like they, is a bad they, writer, but no, but like I, I hear, I hear what you're saying though. It's like one of those things where they can kind of come up with the the music, and just be like, "Hey, Slash, here's the song. Can you throw a cool riff on it?" And he'll create a riff out of, yeah. out of fucking nowhere in like thirty seconds, and you know, like supposedly that's how Slither was written. Right. I, I've heard that. It's yeah. like it was just like. They were just fucking around jamming, and Slash just played that, and they're like, all right, that's going to be a song. Mm-hmm. Okay. And 20 yeah. minutes later, Slither, one of the better rock songs of all time, was written. Exactly. Yeah. No, and so, yeah, to me, there's there's more... I'm, I'm more impressed by groups that have one guy as opposed to two or three, even. Um, so, yeah, Brian May is my, my fourth. I think one cool thing about Brian May, I've never... Like you, I guess, before, I've never really... I've paid attention to him. I've never really been wowed, but I, I definitely have a lot of respect for what he what he's done. One thing I would say about him that, um, you know, he deserves credit in the way a lot of other guitar players don't get it is Queen was a band that reinvented themselves several times within their career. Mm-hmm. And his ability to make adjustments to not just how the songs were sounding, but how his guitar was sounding in the songs, I think that's really cool. Like, that, that's something that, not a lot of guitar players have ever had to do. A lot of them just kind of have that sound, and regardless of who Slash is playing with, you can tell it's Slash, right? Like, regardless of what sort of Jimi Hendrix... Like, you you know Jimi Hendrix's guitar when you hear it. And Brian May is, like, has a sound, but doesn't, because he's kind of... Like, the music itself changed so much, I think, if that he, makes sense, right? Like, The Edge is another one. Yeah. Like, I can I can hear The Edge. You know, like, I can hear these guitar players, but Brian May never really needed to have a he sound. He never needed it. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah exactly and I think that's kind of cool. I, 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 he, I like that. It's not that he didn't. It's just that he didn't need it. No. Yeah, that's, no, that's, that's, and, that's a good and, way of putting it. You're, you're right about that. I think that there's something to be said for a guy that doesn't 
need to be that overtly um, noticeable, I guess, within their songs. Oh, yeah. Not like, to not to say that these other guys do need that. I like the, the, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not going the other way. Like I definitely agree that guys who have a sound, I think that's cool as fuck. The fact that I can hear a song and five seconds into it, not having never heard the song, just know it's Carlos Santana. That's yeah. fucking mint. You know what I mean? Like I, I think that's so cool, but. Well, There's something to be said for going the other way and not really needing to do that. Yeah, and like just to kind of wrap wrap up what we're talking about, like think about the greatest Queen songs out there. Mm-hmm. Like, and uh, we will rock you. There's no guitar in that till the last thirty seconds. Right. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody is a piano ballad for the first half. Yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, Another one bites the dust is an entirely bass-driven song that mm-hmm. you know has a solo. So like, again, Seven Seas of Rye is just a mess, right? <laughs> a beautiful mess, but it's a mess. <laughs> he's he's never had to be the guy within his own songs necessarily, but yeah. it's yeah. he's he's yeah. I like I said, the article kind of opened my eyes and changed my view. Yeah, I, yeah. Again, like I said, a lot lot of respect. Yeah. Not necessarily so much someone that I've ever really looked up to but i i do have a lot of respect at right. the same time for him okay that leads us to the uh, who's your who's your favorite guitar my, player of all time is it david it, gilmore it's david gilmore yeah yeah guy guy makes sweet sweet love he's to the, to the he's instrument. he's the same <laughs> he's the same for me as as you kind of said with brian may like i never really appreciated david gilmore till the last like probably even five years i would say and one of those things, like, my dad had, like, a live DVD of his, and he'd, like, throw it on, and it's just, like, I'm, like, so is, like, any of the other members of Pink Floyd there? And he's, like, he's like no, it's just David Gilmore. <laughs> oh, is anyone singing? I don't know. He brings on a guest for a few songs. That's about it. So there's no lyrics. It's just him playing. <laughs> yeah. That sounds stupid. And, like, since then, having watched that DVD, being, like, holy fuck. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like... Yeah, it's it's funny how music tastes change. I find like my movie taste hasn't really changed a ton, and TV shows and like things like that, like books, all that kind of stuff, doesn't really change a, a ton for me. But just like how much my music taste has changed in even the last like two years, uh, it, it's just funny how that works. But my 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 favorite Pink Floyd album is the one nestled between the the two big ones. You know, Dark Side of the Moon was this. You know, musical masterpiece, and then the wall was this lyrical masterpiece that came out, mm-hmm. and in in between was "Wish You Were Here," and if you ever want or feel the need to fall in love with David Gilmour, uh, listen to "Wish You Were Here" front to back. There's only five songs on it, but it's yeah. the same length as a regular album, and it the guitar work is beyond anything that I've ever heard. I can't compare it to anything. I think and, yeah. my favorite thing about the actual song Wish You Were Here too is it is one of the rare riffs. It doesn't I've I've been practicing that riff for ten years and I still can't perfect it. I can play it pretty good. <laughs> but right. not bang on. You know what I mean? And it's yep. like you listen to it and it sounds like the simplest two combinations of guitars. Like in that first like minute. It sounds like the simplest thing. And it and it kind of is, but the timing is so precise. It's oh, yeah. it's great. I don't it's, even know if the awesome. guy can the guy himself can play it again the same way. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah one of those true. things. Yeah, but uh, so we, we'll, we're going to wrap this up with the the TV section. We didn't do any movies for the pop culture. 
uh, category. We were doing a we, lot of movie based movie brackets. Stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I just downloaded the app uh, Letterboxed, which is not an official sponsor of the podcast. But um, I I will say, if you're a if you're more of like an more than an average movie watcher, which I I consider you to be. Um, it's a good way to kind of sort through what you have and haven't seen. And it's a really cool app. Like it, it kind of surprises me that IMDB doesn't really have something similar, but um, yeah, for you specifically, James, I would, I would download letterboxd. I think it's a cool letter, letterbox, Let, letterbox. Duh. So it's letterbox with a D at the end. Ooh. Okay. I never heard no of it, but I will. Look yeah, no, it. I just, just heard about it last night. Uh, you can essentially to sum up the app, you can swipe, uh, left on a bunch of movies like go through movies and you can rate them and and like put down if you like them and or you can add it to your watch list like it's a very simple thing it's kind of like tinder for movies i like it oh i'm down mm-hmm. I'm, i can get married to that idea oh yeah all right uh so yeah for the tv quick section here we got a, a tv all-time drama mm-hmm. and tv sitcom all-time so we'll start with the dramas uh, what is your Mount Rushmore of all-time TV dramas? Now, you need to keep in mind, again, like everything else, I say this every category, not my favorite, just iconic. So, um, having said that, my two favorite dramas are one, two for me, <laughs> which is uh, The Sopranos and Breaking Bad. Um, having said that, I, I acknowledge the cultural phenomena that was Game of Thrones, I think there's something to be said for it. I, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's one of the best shows front to back because um, it seems to really split people in, in their opinion on it. And um, it's one of the rare shows. I think it's very divisive in a way. Um, but I think there's something to be said for the fact that, like, you go to work on Monday morning and you work with 15 people and 12 of them are talking about fucking Game of Thrones last night. I, I think that's really cool. And uh, Breaking Bad was a very similar way when it came to the end. And um, so I see a lot of that in it and, and I can respect Game of Thrones being where it is for a reason. Mm-hmm. The fourth one is something that I know that you're going to respect and may even have on your list, but it's probably not a conventional thought for most people that would watch uh, TV dramas. My number four is Band of Brothers. And I, I think it is the greatest, um, it, it's among the greatest short, uh, series, limited series of all time. Um, what it managed to do with the length of time that it had, I think is paved the way for anthology series that we see now that are becoming more prevalent. Um, your true detectives, your Fargo's. Uh, which I think are are honestly the two best drama series maybe, you know what I mean, currently going, um, don't really exist, I think, without the success of Band of Brothers. It did it at a time where it was relatively unheard of, and I think um, there's something to be said for that, as well as the fact that it's just fucking incredible. So I haven't watched it in probably 10 years, but I'm hoping to go back to it pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are my four... Uh, yeah, you give your four. I'll give my honorable mentions after. I had a few that I had to cut, but yeah, uh, I'll just quickly touch on the Band of Brothers thing. It it is one of those shows where I I wish that they had maybe kind of known what they had before they had it situations, and they could have maybe made uh you know ten episode seasons and had you know three or four seasons and 
Sure. And because there's there's definitely en- enough characters, there's enough story, there, there's enough to go around there. Um, the, the ten episodes we got are phenomenal. Uh, I watch it once a year. It is by far uh, my favorite piece of of TV work uh, ever created. Uh, I did not have it on my list, unfortunately. Hmm. Um, I've I for me it's it's always kind of been this mushy middle between not really a movie, not really a TV show, and it it kind of falls somewhere between because it's it's so limited in its scope, um, and, which is kind of unfortunate because I, I don't want to take anything away from it. It's 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 absolutely phenomenal. Um, speaking to that, I I did not have The Sopranos on my list. I made a note of saying that I think The Sopranos are you know, I think that they're very clearly on the Mount Rushmore, but I've never seen it, so I didn't put it on my list. Um, so mm. if it, if, it, if this is a list of the four shows, uh, sure. I'll, I'll say the Sopranos are there. Uh, my shows are Breaking Bad, uh, Game of Thrones, Mash, which I felt could have gone kind of either way between no, and drama. I go drama. I, I would go drama. Yeah, uh, the first yeah. the first four seasons are, are hands down a comedy, but it, it very quickly mm-hmm. transitions into a drama and, and stays that way for the majority of the show. That's what I mean. It's just the bulk of it is dramatic, right. I think, more than it is funny. Yeah, um, and then my my fourth because again with the Sopranos thing, I, I just kind of picked one that I really like, and I, I honestly am am very supportive of in terms of its you know it doesn't get enough credit. Uh, Peaky Blinders. I, I mm. think it is the greatest TV show to come out of, you know, the BBC, uh, and it, it deserves more than it gets. So this is my my, you know, call to go watch Peaky Blinders to all of the listeners sure. out there because it's it's fantastic. I started watching it. I couldn't get into it for whatever reason. It wasn't uh, an indictment on me not liking the show. It was just I wasn't. I don't think I was in the mood for it at that time. I I've done that many times before, and I'll try to go back. And if if I can't get into it after like three times, I watch the first five episodes and I still don't like it. Then I'm then I, then I'm done. Right. right. Um, so I I've done that with Ozark. I watched the first season through, loved it. Uh, season two came out. I didn't remember anything from season one, so I tried to rewatch season one. I've seen those first three episodes. Maybe five times. Can't get past them. Think it's terrible. Um, so, having said that, uh, if I were to sub one out, obviously, because Game of Thrones I have not seen very much of, and what I did see I didn't like. Uh, I I genuinely... I'm rewatching it right now, and the second time through of Billions, it, it absolutely blows my mind that this isn't watched with the same level of... Um, anticipation is breaking bad in the sopranos because it it definitely reminds me of it uh in a lot of ways i think in terms of dialogue one of the smartest series i've ever watched um actually probably the smartest in terms of a drama uh what i would also say is it is hands down not even close the best use of music i have ever seen in at least a tv show and even comparing movies there's only a handful i would say that uses music and soundtrack and 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 you know what I mean tones as well as billions does it's it adds suspense to scenes that you didn't even realize were going to be that suspenseful it's fucking incredible man it's through and through well directed well acted it's it's as far as i'm concerned uh so far a flawless show 
It's 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 funny because I I was talking about this recently, um, where I started watching Homeland mm. strictly for Damian Lewis. Damian Lewis is awesome, man. And then he left. Holy fuck, Homeland yeah. for Billions. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. okay, I stopped watching Homeland. Why haven't I started watching Billions? And I, I, I gotta I gotta get into that for sure. It's oh man, the amount of incredible actors they have. Like the fact that it's it's. I don't want to spoil too much, but the fact that the at least the first couple seasons is solely based on Paul Giamatti versus Damian Lewis doing literally anything to take each other down is it's it's incredible. It's one of the best TV rivalries ever. Um, slight spoiler alert: they don't continue necessarily hating each other, which I think was the smartest decision that show could have possibly made. Because if it continued to be just them at each other's throats, I think it would have lost some steam. Mm. It takes an interesting turn and kind of... It's about the same thing, but the way the characters relate to each other, and it's just... It takes twists not for the sake of taking them. They organically come that way, but they are twists that you really don't see coming. Um, It it takes a lot of dives and... um, in smart ways, I I think I, I think it's brilliant. I I don't have a I couldn't make a bad comment about the show if I tried to be honest with you. Uh, makes some references to hockey too, tying things back. Um, other honorable mentions I cut were Mad Men, Mr. Robot, and and Twin Peaks. Uh, I think are I think Mad Men's kind of boring. I think Mr. Robot's losing a little bit of steam, and I think Twin Peaks is amazing, but it's also incredibly weird. So I would understand why people don't. Maybe don't you know? It's not for everyone. So, Um, for me, the light cuts were Fargo and uh, so good ER, which I just yeah I respect as a cultural kind of no me me too. ER just fell off the fucking map big time toward the end. But I mean, what are you what are you gonna do? You can't keep all these actors around forever. So yeah, fifteen seasons, right? Yeah, what do you what do you think, George George Clooney? George Clooney is gonna do a fucking network doctor drama for 15 years no yeah of course probably not probably not hey you want to do oceans 11 yeah probably (laughs) Um, how about we give you 20 million dollars to play the head of a crime family yeah i'm down okay oh it gets better okay uh so we're gonna wrap this up with tv sitcom of all Mm -hmm. time now uh, which leads me to my 5000 word essay which i have prepared on uh king of queens uh from the beginning since the dawn of television no, uh, my four are Seinfeld. Um, technically, The Simpsons qualifies as a sitcom, according to the internet, so The Simpsons is number two. Uh, Cheers is number three for me, and All in the Family is number four. Wow. I definitely went a little bit more personal on, on my route. That's um, fine. I've seen All in the Family. I've, I've seen a lot of All in the Family. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I get it. It doesn't <laughs> doesn't hold up. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it does for me, right? Like, I can get past certain things, but yeah, there's a reason why there's not many uh, reruns of that show on TV no. anymore. Yeah. No. Um, so, so my four are Seinfeld, The Simpsons, Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah. And fair enough. Uh, call it recency bias because I'm in the middle of watching it again, but Home Improvement. You got me nervous. I thought you were going to say Community, where it's like, yeah, it's really good, but Jesus, don't go too far the other way. (laughs) It's good, but take it for what it is. Yeah, Home Improvement is, like I've said on the podcast a thousand times, um, 
uh, again, I really need to go back and, and revisit it, and I just haven't had the opportunity to do so yet, but uh, I do just, remember really liking it. I used to come yeah. home and watch it uh, two episodes after school for, like, six years, so. Re- rewatching it, it's it's becoming clearer and clearer to me that um, it, it is the, you know, the, the Martin Brodeur of its era, where it was just caught in the same era as Seinfeld and Friends, and just you know, it was a great show and, and all that. Just could never really get over the 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 shows above it. But yeah. deserves a spot in the, you know, list of all time greats because the comedy is fucking gold. Let, let me say like yeah. a, a couple of them like there's uh, like let, let's not kid ourselves. It's a it's a show about home improvement, um, which is uh, incredibly uh, misogynistic to its core. But what I like about it is, is for every you know like nagging wife joke that they make, uh, at the end of the day, uh, the guy getting electrocuted is the home improvement guy. So mm-hmm. it's like you know what I mean. Like they, they oh, take it's, it it's as many shots at itself as yeah. No, it's very much like this guy's an idiot and throwing it in your face, right? Like it's 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 nineteen minutes of Tim Allen seeming like he knows what he's doing, and then the final two minutes he's a jackass, right? Like the, right. it's it, it, it the bit over and over again and and it's great at beating the bit over and over again which is like going back to it like kind of the concept of all in the family right it, it, it's it it's the same episode over and over again but they kind of perfected what they did right and 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 um there's something to be said for that i i i will go on record saying that if it's my four favorite sitcoms that everybody loves raymond cracks this for sure um the fact that everybody loves raymond not that sitcoms jump all over the place. And, you know, if you want a show that takes place in one setting, look no further than Cheers. But the fact that Everybody Loves Raymond will have three commercial breaks, but somehow have only two different scenes, is nuts. <laughs> like, they'll come back from commercial and they're, like, literally standing where they were in the same argument. Yeah. And it's, like, it's fucked. Like, it's literally two scenes... In a twenty-three minute episode, it's crazy. It's genius, but it's it's crazy. Like it's something that I never noticed until uh, later on. Just the fact of how it takes one lane and just kind of sticks with it, and I, I think it's I think it's great for for that. So yeah, everybody loves Raymond cracks mine. I got to be honest with you. If we're talking favorites, Cheers is still pretty high on the list. Um, it's really good, but. I would probably say the fourth favorite would probably be the office, but I, I was going to say no, no office mentioned to this point, which I thought was always a very culturally relevant television show. Um, the thing with the office is it's because there are so many characters, this is my theory anyway, because there are so many characters, it becomes relatable to a broader amount of people. It's similar to The Simpsons, right? The similar The Simpsons has 50 to 60 characters that if you've watched more than a few episodes you're aware of. But they're all kind of making the same joke, which is like why I like The Simpsons better. I, I think it makes more sense. The Office is kind of... You can see yourself or someone you know in at least a couple of the characters. And to me that makes it more relatable, which I think is good. It is, however... The highs are really high and the lows are really low. I've said it before on the podcast. Um, that show takes a, a a catastrophe 
Like, it's a catastrophe all of a sudden. Season 5, the last episode, you can you can see Season 5 end on a down note, and it's going to be like, uh, Season 6, we might be in trouble here. But the rest of Season 5, 27 of 28 episodes, are fucking genius. Brilliant. Hilarious. In the last episode, you're like, uh, why are all these characters doing these things that they wouldn't ordinarily do? Like, like it, it, it. The first time I saw it, I honestly thought some of the characters were on drugs. Like I thought the episode was going somewhere at the end, and it's like, no, they're all just doing this. And I'm like, oh, they wouldn't do that ever. None of them would ever do anything like that. And then season six, it's like, yeah, no, they're all these characters. Yeah, they're just kind of like this now. Oh, okay. And then every season, they just pro- get progressively more fluid, and they're they're to the, toward the end of this series, they're all one character in a bad way, you know. Where, like, there's no traits, there's no discernible difference between them. It's just all one big thing. Interesting. It's not good. Yeah, it just gets such such love everywhere I, I go that I assume it's, it's on yeah, the, well, the Rushmore of, of the world, so to speak. James, what a lot of people do with shows uh, that they really like is when it gets really bad, they don't admit to themselves that it's bad. Mm. And, um, yeah, it's okay to like a show and also admit that parts of it is bad. It's fair. It's very fair. There are certain things that are flawed about many shows that I like, but yeah, yeah. left left my favorite sitcom off the list uh, as well because it it gets bad. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Another one I would say that that takes a really steady, or like that is just steady season one all the way through to season nine, just really good, really funny. Is but it's underrated. It's King of Queens. Uh, I think King of Queens really is the one that kind of gets just like. It's the, it's the, think of the most underrated NHL player of all time, and that's King of Queens. Who, who would it be? I didn't make that Who's... category for our, our, our specific Rushmore, but I thought about it, actually. Um, it's a good question. <laughs> Evgeny Malkin comes to mind. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, King of Queens, like, no, don't get me wrong, I like King of Queens, it's, maybe I do underrate it. I just, I, I find that it's funny. It was always funny. I could. It was one of those things like oh, I'd rather watch this right now than King of Queens, and it was never anything against King of Queens. Yeah. It was just like, oh hey, this that, and that... Raymond are on at the same time. Oh, I'm gonna watch Raymond. You know, so <laughs> which is funny. You compare those two shows because they're in the same cinematic universe. Right. That's funny. Yeah, <laughs> true. That's those wild. characters are actually buddies. Now, which is is it? Is one it of, only... It's my favorite. It's my favorite sitcom crossover of all time. For me, is it is it is only that. that Raymond shows up in King of Queens, or does King of Queens show up in in Raymond? Kevin James is in Everybody Loves Raymond for an episode or two, but I don't. I want to say they just call him Doug, and they it's not like a it's not like a overt reference. Okay, it was before King of Queens was a thing, mm. so like you could make the argument that King of Queens is an Everybody Loves Raymond spinoff, which it's not, but. You could make the argument, I guess. Hmm. Um, yeah, if I remember correctly, they're both in each other's shows, but it's more of a on-the-chin reference in King of Queens than it is in, in Everybody Loves Raymond. Gotcha. Yeah. One, of, one, of, one of my personal favorite um, crossover, if we're talking crossovers, um, is uh, the New Girl Brooklyn Nine-Nine crossover. Mm. 
but again, those are two shows that I really enjoy. Some people, you know, don't like yeah. either of them. So, but the crossover theme in 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 two of them are is, is very well done, in my opinion. Yeah, I've tried as time goes on to be less of a. Uh, I don't understand why people like this type of person and trying to just exp- like you know what I mean. Respect the fact that you know we all like different, are different things and whatnot. Yeah. But I I I. I get, I find Brooklyn Nine-Nine funny. The more I watch it, the more I find it just annoying as fuck. And I really can't pinpoint what it is. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to watch it to figure out why I hate it. Oh, okay. I, 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 I hate it. I like everyone in it. I hate the show. I gotta be honest. Interesting. I don't get it. I don't know why I hate it. I even find it funny. I find the show gen- generally annoying, though. Okay. But... That, I don't know that, why. That sounds like me with The Office. I like, you know, that's the fair. majority of people in it. I just don't get the humor. So yeah, yeah, that's fair. Oh, I get the humor in Brooklyn. <laughs> okay. I just I find it so sloppy. Like it's like it's just it's like watching Family Guy live action almost. It's just like yeah, it's it's funny, but it's really messy too. Like I just I don't know. I don't know. That's fair. What are you gonna do? Yeah. You don't have to defend yourself to me, you know. It's you know we get a podcast together. We agree on a lot of things. Oh yeah. Uh, yep. Despite not going four for four in any of the categories, we agree on no. a lot of things. So. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. Um, that's it for this week. Well, that's not actually it for this week. It's <laughs> it for this episode. Uh, we're probably doing another one later this week. Uh, some sort of a bracket. We haven't abandoned those. We just have. Uh, they take time to prep, and we're hoping to get some guests on to do it. And we had to kind of line those up, but. Um, old guests new guests we get a slew of guests yeah there you go yeah everything's sort of lined up now so uh we expect to do those regularly um i'm sure having said that that they'll uh all cancel everything will be back to normal uh next week or something so um but yeah for now that's the plan and uh yeah so cool expect more episodes i'm assuming you've got nothing to plug uh no, no. Um, you did think about it. I did. I was trying to think of like a barbecue, backyard barbecue type of joke, but there's nothing really there. Just stay home and have your own barbecue. Don't come to my house. Yeah, if you if you don't get it by now, um, you know, stay home. I guess. Yeah, or or don't. But I'd rather Ooh. you did. Okay. Yeah. True. Okay. Okay. Well. Good night and good luck, I would say. Yeah, farewell. I'm telling you, this place is perfect. You're going to make friends in no time. Get me out of here! Here, just eat that! Leave us alone! If there's a goal that everyone was back in old 72 we all squeeze the stick and we all